when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What's good, Internet? It's Friday, April 24th, and you're listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 309. I'm your host, Austin Walker, joined today by Rob Zachney. How's it going, everybody? We're a little punchy already. Kato is here also. <laughs> Hi, Kato. Hi. Uh, goop? Did you? No, never mind. This is a What's up? No, what's up? You want to talk about Goop? Are we talking about Goop? No. I, is that what's happening? It, just a weird brain thing. Where I was like, Goop, Goober. Did I learned that what Goober comes from? Do you know what Goobers mean? No. I mean, I know what a Goober. Candy? I, no. It's peanuts. Oh. Which are like the opposite of what I think when I think Goober feels squishy. Goober feels yeah, slimy. Yeah, that's why we use it. Yes, that's why we use it but to talk about But a peanut is dry and tough and crunchy. Yeah, but also you call somebody a goober for being kind of a schmuck, right? That's the yeah, other thing. Yeah, you think yeah. that's the that through guy's line a goober. here. Right, totally. Well, where's goober come from? Old, old, the olden times. That's not an answer. Probably something racist. It's probably something racist. Informal, North American, a peanut, a foolish person. Uh, uh, it is from... The uh the the da, da, da. K- it's from K-Kongo? a Bantu it's from a Bantu language yeah Kikongo or Congo, uh uh word which just is basically it's just peanut Nuba, in that language it peanut yeah uh-huh. yeah. Huh. Yep. Huh. Boom. There you go. But then there it becomes go. just a standard English like piece of idiom, right? Where it's like mm. uh huh. What a peanut. Yeah. What a peanut. Total peanut. Ah, <laughs> uh, I could eat a peanut. I've had a peanut. They're good. In a while. Like you know, like you don't get dropped peanut? for my grocery shopping. Is like, well, T.S. Eliot crossing out, I could eat a peanut. <laughs> <laughs> that's, like, mm, that's, that's not it. That's not it. Fuck. <laughs> Ezra, how's this sound? I could eat a peanut. That's terrible, Elliot. Go back. <laughs> Start over. I'm keeping it. Um, uh, video games. We'll just jump into it because we have a couple to actually talk about today. Can we? Can we? It's so funny. All week, like a week and a half, we've been like, can't wait to talk about these tactics games. Can't fucking wait. And it's now the day we can talk about all the things we want to talk about. And we're unhinged. We're just entirely off the rails, off the map. Wait, did we just circle around? What? Is T.S. Eliot not the cat's person? Oh, shit, we did. Is the cat's oh, person. my God. No one's heard around. the pre-podcast yet. No one knows why we would have been talking about cats. And also, you're overselling the degree to which we talked about cats. Cats no, was, at best, but it's an still, alley. Come on. Yes. We, we, we closed that no, one. No, I'm with you. We closed the loop. We closed the loop. 
Oh. Whew, limited out of the system. The circuit is complete. Yeah. We can now get on to talking about our podcast like we're supposed to. Um, and yeah, that's let's let's get into it. Video games. XCOM Chimera Squad is the game that we're now allowed to talk about. Let's breach which, into this topic. There you go. That's wow. an important concept, breaching, because it get is a part of the, the new pie. core. You absolutely do not have to slice the pie. I mean, <laughs> because the line of sight rules are a little wishy-washy. They're pretty wishy-washy. They're pretty. Oof. It's what you need to understand is if you breach from two different positions, you're going to see different people. And mm. that can sometimes bite you, which makes sense. But uh-huh. it's not always clear why I can't see someone. I'm going to pause huh. really quick because I think it's, I think this is like we, we've been served a sort of Christmas of tactics in this moment because I think Rob and I like a different tactics game more in this moment. And that is like powerful, good waypoint energy for me (laughs) Um, uh, because it really lets us, I think, dig into why we like what we like. So on Monday's episode, Rob, you talked about where you were with gears tactics. You really liked it. Are you still in that? That's still where you're at four days later. Yeah, we'll talk more about that next week, of course. Okay. Um, because that's when the actual that's like where the yeah, actual embargo passes, is up. All yeah, that yeah, stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, and whatever that falls with other podcasts we might be doing. But yeah, I'm like I'm still I'm still liking it. I'm no longer as quite as cool on Chimera Squad. Okay. I am more intrigued, but not sold. Cool. Okay. So for people who don't know, there's a new XCOM game out, which we <laughs> teased a few weeks ago and kind of came out of nowhere. Um, it was announced a few weeks ago. Uh, it was announced as a $20 game that currently is selling for $10 on Steam. It's half off at launch, which is a lot off. Um, <laughs> uh, and I think that that's meant to signal the scale of this thing, uh, if not necessarily the aspirations of this thing. Uh, it's a pretty dramatic shift. And, and I think it's supposed to, it's supposed to, I hope, signal the fact that like, this is not the next XCOM game. There's questions that we can have, and we'll, we'll have this guy maybe at the end of this conversation mm-hmm. talk about what it is doing in, in XCOM as a franchise, what it could be pointing towards, or what it maybe isn't pointing towards. We'll see. Um, uh, but the the heart of it is a bunch of new changes um, of the core XCOM formula put into a sort of uh, interesting fictional frame that I think that they mostly do well, do pretty good with, given the pitfalls of doing anything like this. So Chimera Squad. Uh, takes place five years after XCOM 2 uh, in a world in which the the members of the alien species who were left behind have begun integrating into humanity. I mean, it's not that they were just left behind. You have to remember, the, the story of XCOM is in XCOM, Enemy Unknown slash Enemy Within, aliens invade. You learn by the end of that game that maybe things are not as simple as as uh, they seem. It is not like a unified imperial invading force where everyone is like a true believer. There are lots of people who have been genetically modified, who have been, who are victims of this empire, who've been turned into soldiers for it, um, often under duress and, and often under, again, genetic, uh, surgical, you know, mechanical, cybernetic mutation and, and uh, intervention. Um, and in, in XCOM 2, you're living in a world that has been uh, inhabited and uh, 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 what is why am I blanking on an important oh, word here? Not just colonized, but um, ooh, you just like you have people in a place currently occupied Occup- uh, mm. by by the the ancients and their and their uh, whatever the name of their empire is. I don't know if we ever learned what the name of this alien organism. I guess the on the ground one is called Advent. Advent. Um, uh, and uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff there, but but you kind of start to see that there's like, hey, some some of the people who are human. 
uh, alien hybrids who've been who've been made hybrids so that they can work better on the planet are not all the way under the control of Advent. You end up working with a group of of uh, hybrids called the the skirmishers. Um, this jumps five years after that moment, after you kind of push back the ancients, defeat their warlords, and retake the Earth uh, in a city where that is like the that's being positioned as like the poster city for the world. It is one. It used to be the uh, capital city of Advent, I believe, City Thirty One, um, and uh, it is now a place that's like a mix of alien uh, and human and hybrid populations. There's a hybrid uh, uh, mayor. There's like all sorts of tension in the city. The city's gone through gentrification. The city's gone through uh, a bunch of strange, you know, movements that are kind of uh, interesting side elements to this to some degree. Um, And you are playing as Chimera Squad, which is an XCOM affiliated group that is not the local police, but is effectively, they're part of what's called the reclamation um, the reclamation, not squad or group, but whatever. I forget the actual full thing. But basically, they have government orders which are like, hey, XCOM era technology shouldn't be out in the streets. You need to go get it. And that is the excuse that they need to become a, a kind of paramilitary <clears throat> uh, organization that will that has a degree of authority that they can wield the way someone like the ATF can wield authority in situations where you go like, that's not really the ATFs. Is that really what the ATF can do? And you're like, yeah, yeah, they're allowed to do that because a gun was involved. (laughs) Um, uh, And so what, what you end up getting is sort of a speculative fiction cop story. Um, I don't think it's as sharp as something like Mm. ghost in the shell or ghost in the shell standalone complex i think it's way more in that vein of like what if you told a shadow run cop story i don't think it's as bad as bright um but it's playing for better and worse in that space for sure sure. but i think shot through a like saturday morning cartoon lens like that's the (sighs) other part of this the aesthetic like everyone's so cheery dude everyone is like mm -hmm. you read you read the character bios because every character comes with a bio which also fills in a lot of the history yeah right which is there aren't there are pregens there are eight characters that you can well there's more than eight because the maximum you can have you're not gonna see big money in this no in this game where no unless they've written a character named big money which i haven't met yet which would be i think a great a great nod if you put one of the put val robin in your game you just have to give us a call you know (laughs) Um, that's not true vice would probably charge them out the wazoo for for (laughs) licensing any of our characters vice doesn't know who our characters are they wouldn't notice um the yeah so we call austin but call me and we'll see. I'll yeah. write something for it. That's the fun. The funniest thing about this is having played it now. I'm like, damn, I would have written for this. Like yeah. there's enough here to play with. Um, but you, like, so, you, so you're not going to be able to create your own like characters and, and sort of invent a fictional uh, like life story for them. But now like every member of your squad is a bespoke character with their own backstory. And that backstory fills in a lot of the history of what's happened between XCOM that, like we know and then how we get to this you know sometime later uh reclamation project uh era and one of the things that one of the weird tensions in this is a lot of these backstories are pretty fucking grim yeah right but in terms of the tenor of the game as these crews are going on emissions it's very much like case of the week 
Uh, yes. We're all just have we're all just goofy pals hanging out, making fun uh, of each other's differences, but also I have your back, bro. It is very. There are times I'm like, oh, you you're doing racial comedy on purpose in a way that's like black people walk like this, white people walk like this, mm-hmm. except you're doing mm-hmm. it with like the the person in your squad who is a cobra person you know uh and some of that stuff is like you're re- like the stuff around the muton character i don't know if you recruited um axiom um but there's like i just get mad sometimes like you have to chill on this this is not it this is not like i get that you wanted to keep your berserker alien race in here and i know that they're berserkers because of genetic modification and not because of some innate essential racial quality or whatever but who this is you're walking a, you're walking <laughs> a line here but there but the, i think that the story also which is a weird thing to say about the XCOM games i think there's a, there is actually a lot of fairly um elaborate world building that nods to the complexities of a real world and i think that's especially true as you start to uncover the types of groups you're you're investigating and what the story is there um you are the the reason I say that it's interesting speculative fiction as a premise is because it do, it imagines a world that is different than ours um, because it is or different than what I think the average mm-hmm. North American player's world is. Mm-hmm. It's a post war world in which everyone was was involved. <clears throat> you know, outside of people born five years within the last five years, everyone lived in occupied Earth um, on one or the other side. You often are working with people who used to work for Advent, who have now been reintegrated because some of them didn't want to be working for Advent to begin with, who have been brought into your squad because they have a certain skill set, but maybe were doing really bad things before, um, or who were literally on the, 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 at the most bottom of the boot that was being stepped on people on Earth. Um, and so there's an integration narrative happening that Again, sometimes it's like really it, – it's often very cartoonish, but sometimes it's not only cartoonish, it's like light. And other times it's cartoonish and – cartoonish in the way that you can kind of cut quickly to the root of something and have something um, kind of fascinating happen narratively. Without getting into the, the detail of the three groups, <clears throat> you spend the game uh, – a crisis occurs at the very top of the game. You're brought in to kind of uh, de-escalate the crisis, and then immediately it follows up with a worse crisis. Um, and you realize that there is some sort of large conspiracy happening in this city. And so you're sent to investigate these three groups that seem to have a tie to that large conspiracy. As you investigate them, more and more is revealed about them and their motives. Um, and in the two, I've so I finished two of those three starter cases. My guess is that there's the third, and then maybe a fourth final thing. But I, maybe it's three, and then a big final fight. I don't know. But through finishing two of those three cases, um, the both of them have had really satisfying turns that take the premise in really interesting directions and ask about like, hey, what what about the aliens who like don't want to be on Earth anymore? What happens with them? Um, or what about like the you know, the Nazis hiding out in Brazil quality uh, of this story. Uh, a lot of times you end up fighting people who are manipulating the the people who are still suffering in this world. Uh, a lot of times you end up fighting people who are trying to recreate an oppressive regime. And I think that does a lot to make this the sort of cop story that doesn't just immediately put you off, uh, put me off uh, in contrast to something um, a, a lot more like hoorah about it. Like, uh, what is the what is the what is the cop tactics uh, door kickers, which yeah. is like so over the top 
hoorah about it. And like, I know the door kickers has a system where you're, you're not supposed to kill people. You're supposed to bring them in and da, 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 da. But like the, the attitude around policing in that game is so excited about it. Um, and it's not that this is not like, you're going to have a fun tactical time <laughs> kicking down doors. You are. But I think that the narrative frame and especially a lot of the, um, and I, we're going to get to like what the, how the game plays differently. Cause it really does in a second, but especially the storytelling done through tangential stuff, like fake radio shows, like the first time that you, at this point, I can tell you about the difference between like Glorgu and some of the other radio hosts who you overhear on the show or, you know, in, in the background, debating things like alien and human gentrification, debating things like whether or not uh, aliens should be given funding to leave the planet if they want to. Um, stuff like that is like really kind of an interesting world building that I expected none of coming into this. I expected literally to feel like a series of levels. And mm -hmm. that's it. Um, gameplay wise, it's kind of a series of levels and that's it. <laughs> um, the biggest changes are what you talked about already, Rob. One is these are you, these are set characters. There are I think you can recruit up to eight of them. There might be 10 or more. Uh, there are different ones I passed on that now I can't get because I filled up my roster. Um, each one has its their own skill tree. Um, which is five levels, sort of like the traditional XCOM system. Um, and there are, there are sort of, there are, you can kind of feel a sense of, a, of there being different classes. Um, but th each character, even inside of like, here are my two shotgun wielding people, really differs in terms of what their abilities are. Um, I'm guessing, Rob, that did you also start with Godmother, uh, Terminal, Verge, and a fourth one? A little guy, Michelangelo. Uh, uh, cherub? Yeah, or Cherub, that's it. Cherub, yeah. yeah, who has a shield, okay. Um, and then you know I recruited Torque. I didn't get Torque. Wait, what's Torque do? Oh, Torque's the snake, dude. Oh, I didn't recruit Torque. Oh, okay. Torque is fucking awesome. See, this now, is the part of this game that's <laughs> sick. Because, like, I want to tell you about my awesome person. Torque's, Torque's bio is fascinating, by the way. Torque yeah. is unreconstructed advent. Uh, Wait, what do you, ooh, interesting. Torque is basically like a counterinsurgency master that uh, was deployed relentlessly against the resistance and against XCOM Shit. and like was fucking good. And, and now is working loved with her work and got caught oh, I did read and got thrown I, in prison. I did read this and she like wants to keep doing that work. And Chimera Squad, like she loves the, she's like a craftsperson. She's like, I just love the work. I'll do the work for whoever pays me. <laughs> yeah. So it's it, like, there's definitely a weird, like, is Torque a good guy? Mm, not really. Yeah. Torque is, Torque <laughs> lives for the work. If Advent came back and we're like, do you want to go like raid insurgent camps? Torque would be like, oh God, yes. I thought you'd never ask. Right. But right now. <laughs> Uh, like Chimera Squad is here being like, yo, we have some insurgents of our own. And Torque is like, boy, do I know a thing or two about that. <laughs> uh, What's, what are her abilities like? What's the Torque rundown? Uh, so the big one is, um, you know, she's a snake. So she can, uh, she can do the tongue pull uh, okay. and rip people out of position. She can also do the bind move. Uh, and she can do both in the same turn. So like Ooh. you can pull an enemy trooper out of cover and then smother them with torque who's going to do two damage per turn and keep uh, someone off the off the the initiative yeah. which or is huge. just pull them into the middle in open ground 
where your squad can gun them down. Or if you have the freedom, one of the other things you can do in this game is you can like non-lethally subdue people uh, with melee hits. But that is going to be risky because like some guy, like I think, I think melee hits only do like two damage. Two to three. three. I've never, I've, I can never do it for three. I've never felt like I've gotten the three when I've needed it. (laughs) Right. So that's, so that's the thing you have to watch out for. Uh, Usually like if, if you try that, you might end up committing too many actions as your whole squad, uh, Runs up and clubs a suspect to to the ground. Uh, Wait, in, in sort of a Did yeah, I? dude. Like the, the it's a truncheon icon. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, like oh yeah. XCOMs XCOMs work in the billy clubs. That's exactly a hundred percent the thing, right? And it's like oh, but you'll get more intel if you take people alive, which right. is and one of the intel's one of the major currencies. Yes. Uh, yes. Um, yeah. So but, have did I just miss it, or did you all talk about the initiative order yet? We're, we we'll, we'll we should do that. that. Okay, yeah, okay. we'll get there. We'll get there. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, so like torque can pull people out, and uh, you know you can sort of swarm them and tackle them down, or you can or you can choke them. Uh, she can also like spit poison at people, which is real nice. If like somebody's in deep cover, it's more accurate than her uh, firearm oh, ability. Okay. So yeah, so if you got like a heavily armored enemy in cover, that would just be like a nightmare to chip down. You can poison them, and then like you can get to them when you get to them because right. every turn they're just they're just ticking down. Right. The my favorite character who's who really showed up for me is a character named Blue Blood, uh, who is like very much like Black Private Eye vibes. Uh, no, who has out. he's really good. Um, he starts off really slow. He's a pistol unit. Um, but he eventually gets some classic XCOM maneuvers. He gets lightning hands, which is lets you take a second shot uh, for free or take a first shot for free. Um, he has um, a thing when he breaches a room. And we'll talk about breaching in a second. That lets him ignore cover for a shot, uh, which is a like, huge. Again, you're not only, maybe you're only going to put three or four or five damage on someone, but that's nice. He gets uh, he gets a move uh, early on where his he basically can immediately trade off accuracy for damage and he gets a or one of his one of the things i took for him let him if he fires that shot in his first action he gets a second action um so that means by mid game i was able to do that then lightning hands then a real shot and he could just shoot three times in a round and then his like incredible move is he has a second pistol um that is called like the phase lancer <laughs> and that is a line of that is like you put a line down on the map um, and it directly shoots through everything in that line. It's an energy. It's like an energy hand cannon that blows up cover, that hits people consecutively, that pierces enemies. And I got an upgrade on it that lets it be that every time it hits someone in that line, it gets more powerful. And so if you can line up your Andromedon on the other side of the room and shoot through some like randos on the way there, it feels incredible. He's just like tears through the entire room. Um, but I think between that ability and then the what you described just Torque's ability of pulling people out of cover. One of the big differences in this game is it's very room-based versus being very outdoors-based. Um, and because of that, the maps can feel more constrained and more chess-like in the way that I like chess-like strategy games or tactics games, um, uh, more so than the version that we talked about last time where there's like 
the the chess puzzle solution where okay here is the one thing that you do to win this fight here it's a lot of like ooh i can i can shut down this entire side or i can if i can pull them in over here i can get uh, blue blood over here who can just take this shot and just drop three of them at once and that stuff feels really good um in terms of those big mechanical changes the the I'll give you like the run the new rundown of what it this looks like and that that can be a way we can talk about breaching and initiative. You get to a location at the top of the map and uh, you uh, you're at the you're at the strategic screen. You're looking at a, a map of the city. We'll come back to this in a minute. You get a mission. You take the mission. You go via your APC. Everyone gets dropped off outside of the outside of the the zone. You have a few options most of the time to go into a zone, especially by mid game at the top. Maybe the first encounter is always like one regular breach option. But by your second full case, um, which is like a, a case is a series of I'd probably say 10 to 15 missions. So maybe maybe more like seven to 15 missions, um, depending on how you cut them up. Um, you, uh, you, you choose your way into a building, uh, or into a fight. So that might be that you're going to, and again, you just have these, these are not like, this is not free form. Um, and, and I think that's the thing again, we'll return to again and again, this feels like a much less free form, make your own fun XCOM and a much more, here are some interesting scenarios that we built XCOM. Um, you come to a building, <laughs> there is a door. Maybe there's also a window you could bash through. Maybe there's a, a vent that if you have someone in like the infiltrator suit, they can sneak through. Uh, each of those will give you different positioning as you go in the room uh, and also will give you a different benefit or negative as you go through the room. So for instance, there are sometimes you'll breach through a, a, a wall and everyone who does, if you breach the wall, everyone on the other side gets uh, you know panicked or gets reduced aim and the last person through the wall gets increased accuracy or gets, or negatively gets rooted in place um the you maybe you send one person through a duct via like you having the infiltrator suit when they pop up on the other side they're going to have maybe they'll get a, a stat bonus but also they're just going to have a different perspective on the room because they've snuck through the duct work to show up behind the enemy or off to the side of flanking um that's a place where i put blue blood a lot so he can just immediately get those like quick heavy line shots with his big phase lancer or whatever um uh then you go in the room. These fights are, in my experience, two to four rounds, one to four rounds, maybe. Uh, four is on the long side. Most of the time, I'm wrapping these up in two or three rounds. Sometimes I get a single round clear, and it feels incredible. Um, as you move through, as you do the breach, everyone gets a chance to shoot um or run to cover i almost always shoot it i, or I will say special breach ability right or use a special breach ability uh do you have one on my, in mind in terms of what those are i guess uh, yeah so like my my ex sectoid uh can levitate somebody out of cover so like if they are first through the door the first thing they can do instead of shooting is just take someone who's like in really good cover and use psi power to float them up like a fucking clay pigeon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then everyone is just going to go ham with like 100% uh, hit chance. The other thing with that ability that's sick is when you come in the door, depending on how you come in the breach point, there are different amounts of characters who are going to be either aggressive, alert, or surprised. Uh, normally, when you literally blow a hole in the wall, everyone gets surprised. It's like, oh, my God. When you come <laughs> in the front door, you're going to hit more people who are aggressive and alert because their job is to cover the door. Uh, if they're aggressive, they are going to fire around at you after the breach phase ends, but before a real round start. One of the things that Levitate lets you do is if you Levitate someone who's aggressive, they don't get to shoot. So sometimes I'll use Levitate just to shut down someone so I just deal with them later and they won't be shooting at me. 
Um, there's also an upgrade of that ability later, Rob, that does damage, too. <laughs> it ends with him slamming, doing basically a Mass Effect biotic slam, um, oh. which really brings me to my thesis. XCOM Chimera Squad is the Mass Effect Citadel tactics game <laughs> that that I've wanted <laughs> for a long time. There's To the degree that I think that Verge is doing his best, Verge is the, is the sectoid mind magic psi guy that you're talking Ooh, about. He is Garrisy. Oh, no, I'm reading him as doing his best Morden voice. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, there, are, there are characters in here who are who are very much like Axiom. The mutons are just are just uh, uh, why am I blanking on the species? Rexians. Rexians. Uh, They're not called Rexians. Yeah. Oh, this is bad, Rob. Krogans. Krogans. <laughs> yes. They're just they're just Krogans. Like there's a there is a real through line on some of this stuff. Um, uh, anyway, so you do the breach, you you get that combat phase done. There are other cool breach abilities that, you know, might confuse enemies or give you, again, a better chance of, of ignoring cover or give you bonuses in the round to come. Godmother's uh, alpha strike thing that just gives her a third action in her first round is, is choice. Um, and there are also items that you can use during breach. Like I said, if you have someone who has on an infiltration suit, they can take a different route. Or you could have someone who has like a med pack breach item that heals everyone before you go through the next room. Or you have um, I use the ceasefire grenade a lot in this or the ceasefire breach, which is like a it's like a flashbang that just deactivates guns for a round, which is useful. Um, it's not as useful as I want because it only deactivates the, them. What are you going to say? Did you read the flavor text about it? I did, but I don't remember it. What was so the, the um the ceasefire grenade, which yes. turns people's guns off. Like troopers don't know how it works, but the suspicion in barracks around XCOM is that there's a tiny little codex in the center oh of each ceasefire God. grenade. Uh, the codex are the excuse. <laughs> That's not good. You can't just put it's a person not, in there. It's not. It's extremely good, though. It's, it's extremely good. good. I just got um. I just got basically a grenade that's like a berserker grenade, um, which is uh, if, if the you can make someone go berserk and make them hurt. It's like confusion in a JRPG or something. They'll attack their own their own people. And the flavor text on that indicates that it's the second model. The first model was made uh, and tested in a situation where. They used it. Something went wrong in a in a in a fish factory, and the entire region's fish supply was ruined for two seasons because all they don't say this part, but presumably all the fish ate each other in the fish farm, <laughs> uh, which is extremely funny and uh, sad. Did you know what cops be throwing flashbangs? You know that's real shit. Yeah, cops be hurting real people all the time. Um, and I think we should come back around and have that bigger conversation about how it handles police fiction and blah, 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 after we finish talking through this stuff. Because I, I do think, like, I, I want to be clear, I wasn't hand-waving it before, but being like, oh, it's just like Ghost in the Shell. It's not as good as Ghost in the Shell, to be clear. <laughs> uh, but also, like, I do think it's worth a, a slightly deeper dive on this stuff. Um, the The other big thing is, now you're in the room, and it used to be that uh, XCOM was... Uh, a a side-based initiative game. Mm -hmm. It was I go, you go, uh, or you go, I go. I always forget how that how that phrase goes. Um, but you do things, and the aliens do things. In this, it's your character does something, then an alien character or an enemy character does something. I say alien, but it's such a mix at this point that it's not that is not a a, a clear divide. This is not a humans versus the aliens game. Um, this is a this is a 
you know, you're up against a, a cult that is, you know, playing on, on alien nostalgia for when they were in power game. Um, the every character goes one at a time and you tend to bounce back between you and the and the other side. You're kind of zippering between the two sides. And that changes things so much. Um, it used to be how did we used to do prioritization? Was it just this is the biggest, closest danger? We'll take care of them first. Was it just I'll hit the thing that I could I can definitely take out this turn? It was probably that, right? It was like I'm gonna put damage on things that I know I can try to take out in as few turns as possible to get pieces yeah. off the board. Mm-hmm. Here that's still a play, but I'm just as often trying to keep the enemy from going. I'm trying yeah. to get the situation where I get two rounds in a row. Um, and if I can kind of snowball that, then I can win a fight very quickly with it, maybe without the enemy going at all. If it's a if it's a lightly defended room, um, uh, I'm doing the thing of like, <clears throat> all right, yes, there's a guy right in front of my character who who has a gun pointed at me, <laughs> um, <laughs> but that person doesn't go until the end of the initiative order. What if I can pull someone else out of cover this turn and then shoot them? Uh, across the room who would be going next and then and then or move them into a position to, into somebody else's overwatch so that when that happens you know i can clear them before they get a chance to go um there's a lot more of, uh like you suggested earlier rob again pulling people out of cover a lot of maneuvering abilities a lot of abilities around um uh that, that feel into the breachy to me not as clean as into the breach um, you know, we talked about this before that I I had an into the breach need that I wanted fit that I needed a fix for. Um, this isn't giving me that a hundred percent. Into the breach is such a specific thing where it, it signals and telegraphs enemy maneuvers, and you're like really playing that style of like quick quick response chess type maneuvering. There's lots of focus in, in into the breach on moving enemies around, on anticipating um, the ways in which. The board will look in the next turn, stuff like that. This is not that exactly, but there is still a, such a, a focus on um, picking and pulling and and uh, you know zeroing in in on areas and stuff like that that feels really good um, and feels less broad than XCOM. And this is one of the ways in which I think people are going to dislike this game. That like the rolling battles of XCOM one and two have been replaced with short tactical encounters. Um, it's like running into a pod or two in traditional XCOM terminology. Uh, like, oh, here's one group of enemies. That's who I'm fighting. And that's it. There's not like, I mean, so I guess in the course of play, what you'll learn is some missions have reinforcements and there is mm-hmm. where you get your your added weight. Or there have been a couple of missions where, where I've thought I've cleared a room. Suddenly, I have to go a little bit further and inside of the same room, there's a boss fight effectively. There's like, oh shit, that's a giant robot. I got to fight this giant robot now. Fuck. Um the I'm trying to think if there's anything else key around. Can you think of anything else in, uh, around this set of mechanics that's importantly different? Not really. Uh, so you finish that room. If it's a if it's a really simple mission, you're done. Most of the missions by the mid game are two or three rooms, and then you go and you do another breach phase. And maybe if you used your breach breach uh, your uh, yeah your breach charge already, that's gone, and so you don't have the ability to do, to breach the wall this time. You have to go through the front door, or you're out. You know you're out of the med kits that you used to heal on the previous one. So now you're going in a little bit hurt. Um, that model for me is really interesting, and I liked it from the jump. But Rob, it sounds I know that you didn't like it from the jump, How? but it sounds like you're now intrigued more than you are. Also, Kata, did you have a question? Uh, just quick, how much information do you have before you breach? None, really. That's well, you the, know, 
you know how many people are on the other side. Um, You know, before you take, before you hit go on the mission, you know what types of breach, like, opportunities are expected. So you know whether or not to bring your electronic key card hack thing. Um, But that's about it. Like, you don't know layout at all. Like, no. You don't know, okay, this person's going to come in from the side and they will have this field <laughs> of fire. There's no, like, x-ray, like, no, this lay is, of the yeah, No it's, characters it's I've seen. Situation. No, no. Yeah. Like, you would it, think it that they would have much, that, but right. no. Yeah, I mean, they've got some technology. There's they've aliens. Got a, they've got a tiny little codex living <laughs> right. in a grenade. They don't have any sort of thermal imaging or, Nothing. like... Or, like, nobody even went to, like, the public records office and was like, no. what's this building? What's the layout? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Chimera Squad has to move fast. Uh, they need to, <laughs> they, you know, they, you just got to go, Honestly, go, go. Advent probably took all those and just tossed everything that, for tossed that was Earth. That's yeah, my, anyways. yeah, I suspect the, the, <laughs> the records are pretty spotty uh, in this in, in this world. Uh, but yeah, so you don't you don't have a lot of information about that stuff, so you're not going to have it is harder to set up the um, sort of the ideal breach scenario that a lot of games like this do kind of hinge on, right? Yeah. Like I think if you if you go back to like OG Rainbow Six, uh, the moment of breach was kind of your best opportunity to wipe as many people off the board as possible without them having a chance to react, right? Like door charges would take people out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd come sweeping in, and like you, this is where you had the most control information over the situation. Uh, once you were once you were past that, you were sort of like going room by room and slicing the pie and all that. This isn't really that. This is much more a you're unwrapping the present. And here's what's yeah. inside. It's a turret, a guy with a flamethrower, and two machine gunners. That's that's kind of what you're stepping into in, in, in this game. Um, I would say... But there's a round of, of surprise after you breach each time? Or is that... No, yeah, so, ra- so literally the way it works is... You go to, like, the breach screen shows you, like, the fucking doors and windows and, like, back, like, uh, security doors. You, you you have the option of breaching. And you sort of stack up your troopers outside whichever breach points you want. You decide which which is the first breach, which is the second breach, which, if you're doing this many breaches, like, which is the third breach uh, mm-hmm. in order of priority. But then they do the sort of um, action camera as people go through the door. It doesn't work super well. Um, this, the levels are so claustrophobic. Yeah. The action camera can't get you a good perspective. Like, Is this the you XCOM, won't even... the famously, uh, mm, I don't know, funnily, fun, funnily janky uh, action camera from XCOM? You've, you've never uh, seen it this janky. This whole game <laughs> is extremely janky, which is a thing that I think is going, it's going to get dinged on hard. Mm. UI elements disappear. Sometimes Ooh, I just oh like no. lose act. I don't know. There are times I can click on portraits and read information about my character's abilities. Sometimes they, they disappear. Thankfully, <laughs> we have so few characters. I tend to remember them, but it's bad. Right. Um, like routinely I had a character. In the, go ahead. You go ahead. Well, routinely in the breach camera phase, the character who you're controlling will disappear. Like the camera won't show them. So you have to know by the action bar in the bottom whose abilities yeah. are up. Like, oh, yeah, uh, I can poison somebody using my snake fangs, so I must be controlling Torque <laughs> right now. Torque, yes. But the camera is 
exploding through Torque's skull. A hundred percent. So you can't really like see the room. Um, I've had characters get rooted in place in such a way. I was like, oh, he must be rooted. No, the, no, I just lost control of the play, the character. I have to, I have to save the game, load back in, and it'll be fine. I can move him again. Uh, there was an escort mission where this happened to me on. Thankfully, it happened at the very end. But it was Cherub who's uh, so. So there are these things called escort missions or there. Have you ever heard of an escort mission in a video game before? <laughs> um, there are particular subtype of mission that's really kind of difficult. It's one of the first really difficult types of mission you get where you have an outdoor escort from someone like down a highway. The first one of these I had was so infuriating. Oh, it no. was good. It was a good mission. Right. But, it was, but, a, but it was a nightmare. It's a nightmare. They're nightmares because like. It's open air. People are going to come in at you from the sides and you have to move everyone across the map, like down the highway, like let's say six car lengths or something to get to the XCOM. It might not even be that many, maybe four car lengths to get the X to like the extraction point, including some VIP um, and that kind of rolling gunfight through the streets. One is not something that they've done a lot of in the past. I really like this model. Um, I know they've done city stuff and urban stuff in XCOM 2, but this really does feel like the the shootout and heat which i think oh. rob and i are constantly <laughs> pursuing <laughs> and it's peacetime by the way so it's not like the road is full of like God. folks from old battles or anything like that right every car is full of like flammable gas and full shit. Of flammable and so- gas they're all priuses and they're civilians <laughs> everywhere and you do not want to hurt a civilian it will be bad um, and by, Let me tell I you, say, though, I've left some of these levels looking like the opening of the Wild Bunch just played out uh, in the... <laughs> oh, God. The, um, the, so there's a situation. I'm giving you a bug. It's a cool fight. Um, uh, actually, you tell me about your, your highway maneuver, and then I'm just going to paint a picture at the end of that. Okay, so, like, I had a mission. Uh, like, basically, we had to get a VIP across the square uh, through, like, a traffic jam to an APC. And uh, it took me a few tries because this is the other thing they will start introducing a lot uh, as the game goes on. Reinforcements will start showing up. Like you will get a round or two to clear the map and then reinforcements start spawning in. And like the game's not telling you, hey, fight these guys. The game is telling you, like, get out, like get to the extraction point and leave because you cannot like you can't set up to take these waves of reinforcements. Everybody has armor. You, Because of the way priority works in this game, you can't set up these like firing squad overwatch uh, scenarios that, that you can in base XCOM. Like it just, it doesn't, it's not going to work. So you got to get out. Uh, so like the first time I had one of these missions. Uh, oh, and by the way, the enemy will use uh, like combat robots all the time. Whose favorite move is, is to smash their self-destruct oh my button. God, they're fucking and uh and at, at which point like they will just blow themselves up uh-huh. and like destroy whatever's near them and cause sympathetic explosions if there's <laughs> other like flam like flammables nearby. <laughs> no. Like cars uh, so, filled with gasoline. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I've got to get the VIP through the shooting gallery where we're sort of boxed in on three sides by enemy troops. Stray shots are setting off cars. We got an android that's trying to blow itself up. Uh, not an android, a uh, a a a robot. Yeah, they're um, I, yeah, they're called androids, but they're not. That ain't people. an android. That's not an android. We we have a, we mean that we mean something different when we say android. They're yeah. robots, like you said. They're walking yeah. turrets, basically. Uh, so the so I'm trying to get the VIP through there, except all the cover in this level 
could turn into a bomb at any moment. And uh, so basically it turned into a really like tense scenario where my uh, my MVP for this was my psychic Uh who was just running through this thing and like putting guys in stupor, which causes them to miss two of their action phases uh, in a row, which is huge in this game. That is an eternity. And the other thing he was doing was he was causing guys to go berserk and open fire on their buddies. So, like, to clear a path, he had turned uh, one of the gunmen against his buddy and, like, open like open fire on him, which caused the car his buddy was, like, taking cover near to detonate. There was a civilian nearby. Didn't work out well. Uh, but it did sort of clear a lane for my guys to go through. Uh, but reinforcements were coming in, so I just had to hustle this fucking VIP to this uh, to the extraction point while my guys were basically now spread out, trying to push in every direction to clear to clear to clear path. That's incredible. So that's what <laughs> happened to me, and. My MVP, the last person in, in my group who who really like kept everyone alive was Cherub. Cherub is like um is like the dude you see in the in the breach team who has a, a big riot shield or whatever. Like a, not a riot shield, but like a breaching shield, mm-hmm. um like a bulletproof shield. And what he can do is he can slam that into the ground. One, it's made of energy. Two, he can slam it into the ground and give someone else a kinetic shield. And when they get a kinetic shield, they are immune for one hit, which is great. And he charges up uh, his melee attack and eventually can do like AOE, like a cone damage with the melee attack instead mm-hmm. of a regular one. He's um, a shield bash. It's cool. He's a shield. It's very cool. It's it's extreme. It's cool when the cop hits someone with a shield, actually. <laughs> like, this is the fucking, oh, uh, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, and he like does this like incredible job of like, all right, he's going to hold down the fort in this last round as people are like, he just can't reach the, the exit um, and reinforcements are coming in. And so I have to make the call of like, all right, I'm just going to kinetic shield him in place and then do a long run next round. Um, and next round comes an enemy uses their abilities and he can't move. Uh, the, the, the enemy is another shield bash dude, a guardian who slams his thing into the ground, causes cracks to appear in the, in the earth. And then everyone around him gets a shield. This is like a better version of what Cherub can do. <laughs> like Cherub, why can't you do AOE shields, please? Is that a top level ability? What's going on? Anyway, my next turn comes and Cherub can't move. And I go, oh shit, that must've been a root. Also, like I don't see, there's an icon here on the, on the, on the, <laughs> the, the screen that I don't understand. I don't know what this icon is. Classic um, XCOM. Classic XCOM. I'm going to the menu. There's a list of all the icons. They're all separated into a different like <laughs> sub menu. Each, not each one, but each group. Here's the, the mental uh, icons. Here's the environmental icons. <laughs> Here's the enemy. I like, okay, there's a, don't see it there anywhere. I'm like, I guess I'm rooted. I guess I can't move this turn. Let me just re-kinetic shield. Let me take a re-kinetic shield, take a yeah. shot, and next turn I'll be free. Nothing. Can't move. Next turn. And new enemy reinforcements arrive. There would be five Fuck. people on this map. I'm like, this is broken. What is happening? Why can't I move? And I was like, is this a bug? Let me save, load, complete bug. Could immediately move him right into the back <laughs> of the van and leave. No. Like nothing had happened. And it's like, I could have... I almost said I could have lost him, except, of course, you cannot lose him because Uh one of the big differences in this game is, and now we can talk about the strategic layer a little bit, there's no permanent character loss. In fact, Uh on the recommended normal difficulty, you're 
you're just waltzing through levels, getting shot nonstop and coming out the other side, basically unharmed. Now, if you lose someone and someone goes down, or I think if they take a lot of damage and the, their luck is not on their side, they can get a scar. Um, mm. And that scar would do something like reduce their dodging ability or their mobility or their aim. But you could like send them to get real rehabilitative training, basically to remove that if you pull them off the bench for or you know pull them off of your roster for a couple of rounds, basically a couple of strategic mm-hmm. level turns, um, and get that taken care of. Uh, so so there is not that feeling of like oh no I might lose so and so in this game at all like it, that is straight up gone. Right. Um, I'm I'm. One, I know that will get modded in immediately. Uh, <laughs> two, I'm surprised they did it because there are more characters than there are roster slots. I could, if I had lost someone in this game, I would feel better about this game, hundred uh, huh. percent. In a in a way that's weird, but is true to the way I enjoy these games. Um, but it is it doesn't mesh with what they want you to do. They want this, like you said, to feel like a Saturday morning cartoon, but also to like think about these characters long-term as tools that you always have because you can't just cook up another one. In XCOM 1 and 2, if I lost a ranger, I could spend time rebuilding another ranger to fit that need in my tactical play. You can't get another Verge. There are other psychics, but that other psychic does not have the same abilities Verge has. He, like, the one that I have is Shelter, and he can, like, teleport around the map and pull people, like, uh, displace other people um, uh, with his teleportation, not not geographically displace them, not like gentrify <laughs> their communities, uh, but but uh, literally just teleport where they are. And so that's a huge change. Um, and in fact, I think the strategic layer in this game is not only very light, but it's like I get you ever you ever feel feel like a game is just being honest with you about its own limits and aspirations, where it's like, listen, man. <laughs> Just hit the button. Um, gone are the days of flying a helicarrier around the world or building towers. Gone are the days of launching satellites into space. So there's sort of a similar thing here. Um, or any of the the gone are the days of having an ant farm look at your base that you're upgrading. No, none of that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you are looking at a map of City 31 that's divided into nine districts. Um those districts each have a slot for you to have like a field team that will be it's sort of like building a it's sort of like building uh, uh, economic infrastructure so you can have like a technology team and they're going to feed you Illyrium once a week and Illyrium is what you need to go down the tech tree which is also pretty sparse in this game um, the there's no also I'll just be a hundred percent clear. There's no dissecting enemy corpses in this game. They're <laughs> gone. We're not doing that. Those are people. You don't get to cut them up. XCOM. You we only get to put them out in for Doctor Ballin. As matter of fact. As matter of fact. Wait, is there? Is that a no, thing? Like, oh, okay. Oh there are. There are some. The your commander, Commander Kelly, is the character from the first mission of XCOM two. The mm. woman who survives, the one remaining soldier from mm-hmm. XCOM 2, turns out to be the new Bradford in this game. The new, like, your commanding officer type. Your new central. Uh, your new central. Yeah, exactly. It's, which is very cool. Um, so there are those references, but, but God, it would be very funny if Dr. Valen popped up as a leader of one of these, of one of these three yeah. uh, criminal organizations. That would actually be sick. <laughs> um, I don't think that they're, I don't think that they're like, 
I think they'd be willing to do it. That's how that's how I feel about this game's writing team. I feel like they'd be willing to take that shot. Anyway, um, the at that map level, you have nine districts. Over time, the districts gain heat or like danger or whatever. Um, There are kind of like five uh, levels of that per tier or per per city district. And when if one of them fills up all the way, it starts contributing to overall city heat. Uh, and if the city heat gets all the way up to the top, then you lose the game. That is like your your lose condition. Um, I've never gotten more than one city heat uh, so far. I'm into my third investigation, my third like criminal organization, which is either the last one or the second to last one, probably. And it has been very easy to juggle that stuff um, uh, to make those investments. There's three resources. You know, it's like money, which is used to buy stuff. Uh, to buy like equipment. There's Illyrium, which is used to do research. There's Intel, which is used to buy these field teams and also to buy some gear from the black market. From sorry, from the the scavengers market, which are just two dudes in a truck <laughs> who show up. <laughs> and XCOM is like, yeah, we'll deal with them. Shit, uh, why not? We'll give them secret Intel in order to get a new clip for my gun. Um, so uh, th- that layer is very light compared to where it's been in the past. Um, the thing, the one thing I like it, uh, the one thing that I like about it is you kind of have a couple of different scales of, uh, there's a couple of, of different types of operation on, on scale. There is like the mission. There is like the, this, you're the major crimes unit. Here is the mission. We're going to go after this group in this location and stop them from stealing Android parts or whatever. Um, before you can do that, you need to find where that location is, which is which is completely abstracted. You're not actually doing any sort of legwork investigation. What you're doing is procedurally generated missions. I think procedurally generated missions. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're all scripted, but I, I doubt it. They feel it, completely unconnected from the plot. Totally. Arc, so 100%. I, yeah. I, I hope so, they're procedurally generated. <laughs> those are the things where it's like... They, those tend to be uh, – so the main mission is purple on your map. There are these yellow missions, which are just side missions, which are, oh, help us uh, you know, investigate – or help us um, uh, escort this arms dealer <laughs> that we've decided to take into custody and also take all of his arms uh, and for us uh, across this map as he's being, as he's being attacked by the local – other the, whatever the group is that you're investigating. Uh, here is a uh, – here is a factory where they're cooking up some sort of bomb. Go in there. Stop them from doing it recover the the contraband sometimes you will get one that's explicitly a little bit more connected and it will say like or it's, it's a little bit more connected only in the sense that it's easy for your brain to make that jump or it's like go steal their plans and what that will do is reduce the amount of days it will take you to reveal the full big like mission mission um and then there are situations and situations are just <laughs> They're just. We got a situation here. We got a we got a situation here, and that situation is: well, we ran into some uh, some people fighting in the streets. Can you send some people over to stop them from doing that? And you hit a button, and it's done. And maybe you get like two options of those on a given round. Um, and it's just like this one gives you money. This one gives you intel. Click the one you want. And it's done, and there's like a little micro fiction that shows up in the corner uh, to like make it feel kind of cool, and that is it. And I'm like, yep, okay. <laughs> you decided you didn't want any bullshit. You just wanted me to hit a button and get the reward. You know what? I'm good with it. So I, I think 
one of the things they're doing here as well is they're controlling the tempo like as the day yes. as the calendar runs because yes. the other thing you're up against here is that the premise of this game is City 31 it is 31 right yeah 31 mm-hmm. yeah uh is already the sort of tenuous experiment at the opening of it there is a political assassination carried out that basically says, like, if we don't figure out what is happening in this city, uh, <laughs> the various factions are going to lose trust in the authorities. This whole experiment falls apart, right? And everything just balkanizes. So you gotta fi- you gotta sort out like what's going on and make sure every one of the uh, communities and political stakeholders in the city feels like the City 31 experiment is going to work out for them. And part of that is how responsive are you to like crimes and uh, you know terror attacks in districts. So each of these districts, it, like in classic XCOM fashion, you can only go to one place each day. You know, you can only load up that APC <laughs> and drive your uh, militarized police into one neighborhood at a time. Into one community. And, yeah. yeah. And all the other communities are like, hey, Where's my Where are flashbangs yeah. through the window? Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh but the other thing you're 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 basically like letting the kettle boil over in these other neighborhoods. Right. We should be and, I think one of the things that should be clear about Amer- the history of American policing is a one main one main element of like the black community's distrust of police is they are never there when you do need them. They are never there quick enough for when some shit actually goes down where yeah. you could use some help. Which is um, why you get paradoxical, like yes, you, like a lot of like a lot of public opinion polls indicate black neighborhoods want more police, but also there's deep distrust of police. Yes, right, like 100%. Those, those two things are not as contradictory as they might seem. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I will say really quick this this vector for short fiction is actually kind of or micro micro fiction is actually really fun. I pulled up one of my favorite things that's popped up here. These are from just like the reward screen. Most of the time, it's related to whatever you've done, and sometimes it's as simple as just like we got we got him, we got the the arms dealer. You hit the button that said get the arms dealer and get extra Illyrium. You got him. He's off the streets. But other times, it's stuff like this. Um, I always hated Riverside. The people who lived there rolled over for Advent early in the occupation. Propaganda studios relied on Riverside locals for supportive sound bites. It's funny how quick they changed their tune when XCOM won the war. It's different now, but I'd rather not give my business to people who were so willing to sell us out. Stay out of Bugtown, a local's guide to City 31. And like that little like... There were people during the occupation who hated other people, other human groups in the population in the during the occupation because of how much they were willing to be collaborators. Love it. Good. Give me that juice, (laughs) please. Uh, But so the cool thing here is that. If you ignore districts as unrest increases in those districts, the missions, if you have to roll out there, the missions will get harder. Yes. Uh, And eventually become emergency missions. Where you can, you're not allowed to ignore them. You're basically right. like, no. If you ignore, I, there, is there just a really severe cost on those, or is it? I think it's just straight up no. Because I hit one of these, and I had to go in with. This is the hardest mission I've had in the game so far. Was an emergency mission where I, I was putting it off because I wanted to have my healer with me. I wanted to have Terminal, who is like really good at healing people, um, with me, and she was in training, and I needed one more turn her to come out of training with like some cool new abilities and i was like i bet i can do it without her let me just try it with and it was like a nightmare it was like 
a, a, a fight of it was like a three round long combat. This was I think the, it was actually the end of the of the second group that I was trying to fight. We had to fight a new type of enemy that was like able to add more more creatures to the map. Um, whenever. Whenever a unit from XCOM 2 shows up, it's sick because it's like, oh, shit, I haven't seen one of those in five years. Um, and because all the other all the other groups that you're fighting are new enemy types, basically. A lot of them are modified versions of previous enemy types. Like you have the whatever the snake people were called. Uh, they're around, but they're not exactly the same. I'm sorry. There Rob. was no there was a mission where speaking of like times have changed, man. There's a mission where you're going after these um they're kind of like advent dead enders but also they just love to get high. Love uh, it. Like that's very much the art associated with these guys <laughs> yeah. is like oh yeah they they like they hate XCOM and they hate that Advent lost the war and they're super dangerous, but also they hang around like dingy apartments and just <laughs> like get wasted a lot. So there's that. There's this mission like straight where, out of an episode of Justified. Just some like totally, totally. <laughs> it's, oh, it's Devil and Boy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh But there's this mission where it's like, hey, they found they found some sort of psionic controller for chrysalids, and they're gonna try to like set chrysalids loose in the city, uh, and we don't want another Bugtown massacre. And I'm like, ooh, Bugtown Massacre. Uh-huh. Give me that flash. Where's my codex? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so you do the mission, and at the end of it, like, the flavor text I got at the end was, like, one of the dudes you arrested being like, yeah, so we weren't even trying to control the chrysalids. It was like we discovered they make good eating, and, like, you can just cook them <laughs> up like a lobster. And uh, that's just delicious. But while we were doing that, we like found out we control them. So then we started trying to do that. And then you guys arrested us. Great. Love it. Incredible. This is the thing that works for me about this game's fictional stuff. And I think we should like like this game. See, I I knew I could do the sell. (laughs) You Rob. All right. Let's before we lose two straight hours to XCOM talk. Let's take a quick break and then probably come back with some more XCOM talk. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So another thing about XCOM Chimera, there is there is just as just a tactics game product. It is it is a it feels like a ten dollar game in a real way. Yeah. The UI stuff is rough. The jankiness around like the the way it just like bugs out sometimes is not good. Well, also like, it's still got like for a game that is very rigid turn order. 
it's still got unit selection like it's old school XCOM. 100%. And the sheer number of times that I'll be like, no, just use your ability on that other character. And the game is like, so you want to select that other character who can't do anything for six moves. And I'm like, no, I don't. I don't. Like, Please. why did you like why is why are all my options grayed out? Because I accidentally selected somebody else who's not going to move for six moves. <laughs> the UI stuff needs a serious overhaul, the UX stuff in general. The like um in general, there is like it, you can feel the that this is something made in an engine, or not in an engine, yeah. but in a framework. I don't know shit about engines, but in the framework of XCOM Two, and that framework, it's like it's like too big, or it's, it's not too big. It's just the wrong shape. It's just like trying to wear a suit jacket and his pants. It's like well, there's uh, an element you can cover of, your junk, but that's not going to be pants. There's an element of like. Was this thing meant for like a touch interface? Because like everything is huge. Dude, like buttons are huge. Everything about like, this game mm. feels like a touch interface game. This feels Which like it's feels ready really for iPad. cramped on your monitor. Yes, 100%. Things like the short combat like uh, encounters, the fact that... So one thing we didn't talk about is how digestible this game is for me. We had a conversation yeah. about this privately the other day. But like I... Right now, my time is chunked up in a really weird way. So like yesterday, for instance, um, I had a call in the middle of the day. Uh, to talk about an unrelated thing. I had some friends at the table work to do. I had a 10 p or no, an 11 p.m. meeting I thought was a 10 p.m. meeting. Uh, <laughs> I got pushed to 11 p.m. to talk about a co- the comic thing I was writing. Um, I had to do a quick recording for something. Like my day was just like all over the place. I had these little 30 minute to hour long chunks where I was like, oh, I could sneak in something. I couldn't settle in in that way where I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. I can really. But in an hour, I could play three missions of XCOM in a way that like I know I'll get three done, maybe even four done. There were times I had 20 minutes. I was like, I'm going to knock something out real quick. I'm going to just knock out a quick mission. And that feels really good. It does feel very mobile or at least very um, iPad tablet uh, in a way that I do suspect that is the that is where this goes or switch even maybe uh, yeah. the smaller focus mm-hmm. the smaller rooms the smaller like focus on on or the focus on smaller enemy pods and less to track makes me think there's a switch port coming of this but we'll see uh, maybe they'll maybe they'll get it out of what feels like early access first they brought, um, they brought old XCOM to like iOS devices before right oh yeah like absolutely iPad situation yes I think and then XCOM probably. one and two are about to come to switch next mm-hmm. week or something. Um, it's it's so. a weird thing. Like it's, I think it's janky by XCOM. Next standards. month, next month, yes. But in terms of like how it feels overall, it feels better than a lot of stuff you'll find in the tactics space, right? Like yes, I mean, it's still sure. like it's fundamentally built on a foundation of a really polished, uh, you know, well crafted tactical series. Well, and polished can mean a lot of different things because like yeah. polished can mean unique character arc art because it represents uh financial assets that smaller developers just don't have to make <laughs> those sorts of things and you end up with like a bunch of like swapped around character art stuff but here it's like no like even though yeah you know, it looks like blue blue blood godmother and whisper all human units don't just look like they're all built off the same basic XCOM character model you know um which is which is surprising compared to where those characters have looked in the past in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's lots of motion comics, <clears throat> excuse me, lots of motion comics in this game. Uh, decent tell voice f- acting. There's like decent voice acting These in this characters game. like give each other shit and I'm like, <laughs> classic torque. <laughs> where she's it's- like, I would execute you in a dingy basement. <laughs> Everyone's like, you sure would, Torque. You sure fucking would, you no good snake motherfucker. <laughs> anyway, let's go oh, get okay, these fucking Nazis. <laughs> 
that you used to work for. Torque's like, I resemble that remark. God. There was, so there was a moment. Frame, oh, everyone laughing. There's a moment. I'm going to spoil a tiny thing that I don't know. I guess Cherub. It's Cherub. So people will see this. This was like one of those moments where I was like, yes, you understand the fiction that you're playing in and enough to like get some good character moments. There's a moment when you realize you're going up against um, a, a former Advent leader who are not a leader, but like a, uh, you know, a hotshot in the, in, in Advent, someone who's high up and who had been used as the basis for other hybrid clones. Um, uh, basically, if you played XCOM 2, the skirmish, the skirmishers, if you watch us play XCOM 2, Mort is a hybrid, someone who is part, I don't know what their hybridization of, what is the other species in the XCOM hybrid? Yeah, I don't know. They're 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 half human, half something else. Uh, classic. Um, uh, th- they were cloned based on like clone, like a, a sort of template clone, a template person. And you realize you're going up against the one who Cherub was based on. And there's just like a good little quick interaction between Cherub and another member in the squad where they're like. Cherub is like, I just need you to know I'm good, right? Like, I just need you to let you know I'm going to be okay. And like, yeah, dude, I know. Like, I know that you're going to be, we trust you. We know that you're not going to like succumb to weird clone psychic power or whatever. You're our boy. Uh, And it's like, yeah, that's right, Cherub. You are our boy. You little (laughs) man, like you just little boy. You're our little boy who holds a big shield and you do your best to protect your friends. And like, that is not what I've come to X. When I've come to XCOM before, I've had to provide the cherubs. I've had to provide right. the character moments. Cherub is like very Mort like, but he is very Mort like. Yeah, they, he's like they, if Mort had a little brother. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, like, and also in his bio, it's like everyone noticed that squads with cherub in them performed unexpectedly well. Uh, mm. Despite Cherub not being remarkable, uh, <laughs> so basically he's like a mascot. Like yeah, totally. Like, oh, Listen, Cherub. People Look like that Cherub. That stuff works so well for me. Go ahead, Rob. Uh, uh, also, cool thing is so in that fucking shit show of an extraction mission I had. Um, one of the things they do in this game is when enemies throw grenades, your grenades are instantaneous. Oh, right. Enemy grenades are on a timer. And so you have like a like clear the fuck out uh, window that you can you can move on. I had to leave my technician. Uh, what's her name? Uh, terminal. The or terminal, no, the, yeah, 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 terminal. Yeah. Totally. Okay. I had to have her run up and shoot down a guy who was going to have a flank shot on the VIP, and that was going to be curtains for him, right? It was one of those things where probably. This dude, like the like if that thing crits, he's he's probably done. Um, but that meant she was standing on top of a grenade, basically, next to a car that hadn't exploded. So that damage was gonna be like right. that was gonna be bad for her. But terminal uh terminal was like uh exposed there, but torque went next. And so what torque was able to do was use the tongue pull to snap terminal out of that oh awesome and there was a really good exchange where terminal's like look let's not make this a the whole thing <laughs> and it's <laughs> like got it shoots the tongue and then as terminals whip through the air you hear a wee and it was like kind of a cute interaction very like, good. It, was, it was some good mid-mission yes shit. that yeah. stuff is pretty good that stuff wow. is pretty good I, I think that they did i think they've earned making this a game about like hero characters instead of 
your home-based ones. And I, I, I don't want this to be... I mean, when you think about like, what the future of that franchise is, when you think about what XCOM 3 is, I want to be able to make my own characters in XCOM 3, right? I want right. to be able to have that. Maybe right. a blend I'd be happy with. Maybe they've okay. proven that. Go ahead, Rob, yeah, go ahead. But counterpart, yeah, this might be the... like. This feels like a metagame that is reacting to me. And mm. you know what I mean? Like the, like yeah. the strategic layer, it no longer feels like... With XCOM 2, I always felt like, look, you just got to hit the story beats. You have to stay on the power curve. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's open-ended, but not really. It's not open-ended at all. Like, you have to go through the game in this order and, like, get the stunt stuff yeah. done this way. Here, it's a smaller, like strategic sandbox in some ways but it does feel like oh i do have choices here like i can in poor resources into spreading out those field teams or i can just try to like build up these field teams to higher level benefits and like try to lock lock down this one sector uh so at least this one place isn't constantly building unrest and i can focus my efforts elsewhere that is like that sort of trade-off is something XCOM historically has been kind of bad at, right? Yeah. Like the strategic layer has been where the series kind of falls down. Here, uh, you know, it's maybe it like it's not amazing, but it at least feels like I have meaningful choices to make here. And they're kind of fun choices to make. It's not yeah. just like go fly to some blank spot on the map and like suck up all the Illyrium. You know, that's that's not what I'm doing uh, here. It is every turn. It's like, here's how I'm deploying my resources. Here's who I'm benching for this week uh, to either get a scar off them. Uh, basically, take one of the debuffs uh, that you get from being mm-hmm. gravely wounded. Uh, or here's who I'm building up a new ability for. That's cool. That works really well. And so when I do think about XCOM 3, I also think about this is probably in that in terms of that, like tactical and strategic uh, cocktail. This is probably much closer to the XCOM I really, really want than anything they've made to date. Uh, do you think some of that comes from? Because it feels like uh, in XCOM two, at least there was you could figure out kind of optimal play as far as like what countries you hit up and like build out to. Is is this like a little more randomized in a way where like? If you play as you play through, like you're those that strategic layer feels a little less like you you know what you're gonna do from the start. Um, or do you think that will eventually come out as like people like kind of drill down and like play multiple? I mean, yeah, I think as people drill down and start playing through it, you'll get the same type of thing that you got from XCOM Enemy uh, Unknown, where it's like, all right, here's when you should launch your satellites. Here's the best way. Here's the best stuff to get. Here's like how to beat the economy. Um, mm-hmm. But I think Rob is right that looking at the map and thinking about what my options are felt substantially different than looking at either of the strategic layers of XCOM or XCOM 2 in terms of feeling like I had options instead of bad choices and a right. good choice that I didn't know which was which, right? Like when I when I think about XCOM 2's structure of building the towers to expand your your like uh, your access to regions and then needing to lock down regions, it's very clear there is an optimal order that I just did ever quite grasped um you go watch me play xcom 2 for 30 (laughs) hours or whatever and see me still like flail at that in a way that's just like embarrassing it's like do i need another tower here i always uh mm, uh." um and i don't know that this this doesn't make me feel that way at the very least even if it will still end up being beatable in that way Mm. um the the 
the stuff that I think is probably worth maybe returning to here is, um, well, I think it's two things. One is is what this might mean for the future of XCOM. Um, but the other is also just like, all right, we're pretty hyped on playing this game that is about being about embodying a group of uh, not just cops, but cops with, let's say, um, it's not necessarily clear the the line between their authority and the communities they're policing. Um, they're not quite mm-hmm. secret police, but they're certainly special police. Um, and the, and maybe the there ATF is ATF comparison you made earlier is like kind of yeah, right, like the, that yeah, sort the, of extra level of well, the way it feels to me is like early FBI. Yes, totally. Which is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the thing that they're being called in for is nobody trusts the local police to handle this. They're not competent to handle like some of the stuff that's going on, but also they don't have the authority and training. Uh But also like we know like this is like one of the origins of the FBI is we need a like uh, national police that can overrule local authority because you have like, you know, interstate crime and such. This is, you know, you're dealing with prohibition. You're dealing with, uh, you know, gangsters. This is why there was seen to be a need for something like the FBI. But also, of course, almost immediately that thing starts to get warped and twisted into a it's also an instrument to crack down on political opponents. Um, it doesn't help that J. Edgar Hoover is like one of those yeah. just like satanic figures in American history that yeah. like out of the gate, the FBI is fucked because one of the worst Americans in history was in charge of it. Yes. Um, um. And so like, you know, that's, but, but that's how it feels is you guys are being, you're in the early state of this thing and you might be a police force that people trust more because you aren't tied to this really fraught local politics. That's exactly the, the, the framing of it. It's very much like, Hey, these outsiders are coming in. It's a, it, is itself supposed to be a sort of reflection of the optimism of City 31 in the sense that it's a group of humans, aliens, and hybrids. It's not just humans trying to impose blah, blah, blah. Um, but a, a thing for me that's interesting about this game is the the either or for me here as a player is not either I could have the good thing that was comfortable for me in XCOM 1 or I could have the the bad thing this game about cops. I've always been – I like XCOM 2 a lot more than XCOM 1, partially because of the fictional framing resonates with me more, mm-hmm. because it's explicitly uh, about a group of occupied folks fighting resistance, f- fighting from the bottom up against uh, uh, an oppressor who has already established control. The – you know, I'm not mad at alien invasions. So I'm not like Independence Day is a piece of shit. Um, but – we do know that the sort of invading alien trope is a cudgel used by the right historically, constantly, used by reactionaries, used by regressives throughout history. The sort of like xenophobia at the heart of that of that story is is uh, or at the heart of that that style of story, not an XCOM specifically, is like you don't understand these outsiders represent something vast and deadly and they're coming for us and they're going to erase our way of life. That already, I loved XCOM 1, I played it, but that was already a part of it that was like, ah, I'm never going to get excited. You can, This is like a standard thing with me across the board. Think about the way I talk about like, oh, I love 
love it in a game where I duel someone who's the same as me. I love it when I love the fight against Shiva at the end of Streets of Rage 2. I love the duels in Bloodborne. Like I my favorite type of fictional interaction is two people differ about a thing and then fight about it or become <laughs> lovers, ideally one and one after the other. Um, and the, the XCOM is just not that XCOM is like, there are, they're out there. There are things we don't understand and they're coming for us. And thankfully that game was wrapped in uh, just a lovable tactical package. Uh, and I'm not here to say that if aliens showed up trying to invade us, we shouldn't try to fight them. I'm not, you know, uh, but but that that fantasy already didn't fully resonate with me. So I'm moving from that to a model that, um, if you go from XCOM 1 to this, is in the similar place where I'm like, all right, I'm going to play the fucking cop game. I'm going to be the, the super cops. Let's see what type of cop game is it, what type of cop story it is. Because there are cop stories that are beating their chests about the sort of idealized um, the idealized figure of state violence who is the only one who could be trusted with that violence because they're somehow more than human because they've, they've sanded away the parts of them, the often the emotional parts of them, often the feminine coded or queer coded parts of them. Uh, so that they get to be just like, I'm a fucking man uh, that there's an essence to what it means to be a, a good man in America. Uh, and I'm going to be that. And I'm going to kick down the door and do what needs to be done. You know what? It might make my hands dirty. But I make my hands look like this so America's hands can look like that. <laughs> and th that model of storytelling does exist inside of police fiction. There's also a model of police fiction that is way less celebratory. And like, I think the way we colloquially talk about this is, do you think this knows what it's doing? Um, I think this conversation happens a lot. I just finished listening to, or I'm in the middle of listening to The Great Gundam Project, uh, who are currently doing a backup show, or they just wrapped up their backup show of standalone complex, The Ghost in the Shell, uh, the 2000-something yes. Ghost in the Shell show, which slaps, and I yeah. think knows what it does. I think it knows uh -huh. exactly that it is telling a story about what is basically a group of well-meaning fascist police who are slow, who themselves are part of a, a system of oppression. Some of them don't even own their own bodies. Um, and by the end of that first show is very clear that it's trying to, it's playing in that milieu. It's not celebrating what's on, on display. Um, I think XCOM Chimera Squad is in that space. Uh, it's way more cartoonish and stylized. It's way more, um, stylized is an empty word. Sorry, it's, it's it is way more cartoonish in the sense than this other cartoon I'm describing. Uh, it, it, it's way more uh, over exaggerated. It's way more um, interested in, in quick sound bites than like philosophical philosophical deep thought than something like uh, Ghost in the Shell standalone complex or The Wire certainly. Um, <laughs> but it's it is similarly interested in world building and in contextualization and specification. Um, it is never the I never get the the feeling in XCOM Chimera that the the game's writers want me to believe there are bad guys out there um, with those sort of vague terms. What they want me to understand or what, what they what they are playing with is that crime comes from something. Uh, crime is has an origin point and that origin point tends to be societal tension or something else. Uh, and I, the reason I don't want to get into specifics here is this game isn't even out yet. And the question of what that something else is through the first two cases has been interesting and surprising. Um, uh, Rob, I don't know if you've finished any of these cases yet. 
Um, but by the time you get to the, by the time I got to the end of the first one, and I chose the, I chose the arms dealers first, the like the black market arms dealers. Um, the like, what are they fucking doing? Thing was like kind of sad, um, and like you know, there's a moment at the end where a character involved is just kind of like, listen, what else am I doing? Uh, and it's not framed as a. It's not for none of that. None of it is framed as like, and that'll show them or, and this is why you can't do this. It's, it was a very much a much more, again, it's, it's very cartoonish, but tragic positioning on what led to this moment. Um, and that fits the sort of police drama that is still really digestible and f- fun to, to engage with for me in a way that something like, um, last year, the Platinum game, um, I was just talking about it. What was that game called? The the, the uh, Astral, Astral Chain. Chain. Astral Chain. Just like, there's one sequence in that game, one level that really engages with that stuff, and the rest of it just doesn't at all. The rest of it is just your <laughs> super cops. But that one level is really good about that, and I wish that whole game had been that. This game feels like it's slightly more in that direction. Maybe more than slightly. It is more in that direction in a way that has been really enjoyable. Um I don't know if that if it's true for you, Rob, as as also a purveyor of as also someone who is critical of the police in America, but also uh, a, a connoisseur of police fiction. Yeah, I mean, I think this is uh, definitely. It's not okay. What, what is the what is the way I put this? There are procedurals that are in love, not so much with the way procedure informs narrative, but procedurals that are in love with the way power is deployed and exercised. And that's very much your mold of like, it is like tactical teams are inherently awesome, right? Uh Like it is awesome to, uh, you know, send guys through the door. Oh, I love it when ESU shows up and, and, and that kind of shit. Um, I don't think that's, that's XCOM, even though it's, even though it's, framework is you are a like special tactical team that's being sent in on these things predominantly what you are there to do is to unravel a mystery and the game isn't the game never engages really in a us versus them binary of policing right where like you are the guardians keeping the city safe like no you are just one actor in a complicated milieu and I think that helps preserve it from some of the ways a story about a uh, special super police can can go wrong, yeah, right? Yeah, that it always yeah. keeps in view the sense that there is a complicated, uh, complicated and comical uh, political and cultural uh, backdrop to all of this, and that is also reflected within the squad, right? The like the the other thing this this game very much doesn't have really is. Camera Squad does not feel like a game where any of these characters would talk about he's good Camera. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- like this is a group that doesn't have a collective identity uh, that that is shared, that is somehow above and apart from the community they serve. That doesn't exist here yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not going to have Rawls, uh, you know, coming in and saying shit went bad. They took two for the company. You know, right. that's that's just not what this game is. Uh, but I think a lot of police fiction 
uncritically celebrates that stuff, right? Totally. Like, I mean, that's that's blue bloods in some ways, right? Where police police policing is a way of life. Policing is a multi generational yes. occupation, and policing is family. And you're blue or you ain't. Mm-hmm. And therein lie one of the really toxic threads in police stories and police fiction uh, that is often celebrated uncritically. And that's, that's just not what's going on here. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I, I, and you know, I, I think, I think I'll continue to check myself on this as I try to finish the game. We'll see how it, how, how it, you know, turns out in the end. Like I'm, I, I, my, I anticipate a sort of like, you know, it was an inside job vibe. Uh, that is like my gut on this is that it does the it does the sort of crackdown one thing uh, of yeah. like, isn't it fun to be a super powered, you know, uh, crypto fascist cop? Wait a second. What if we were what if they weren't crypto fascist at all? What if they were just real fascists? You were the bad guy the whole time. I don't know. It'll go all the way to you were the bad guy the whole time. But I do suspect that when you see who is pulling the strings of this conspiracy you will it will it will not be like I should have never trusted those aliens or we just needed more super cops from the beginning and that's what would have stopped this that's what that's the thing that's been missing for me uh this reminds me what this I meant to say this the thing this this game really reminds me of is agents of shield the tv series in some ways uh, okay uh where like you're not the A team. You know what I mean? You're yeah, not yeah, you're yeah. not up there in the helicarrier with Bradford and shit and right. like uh you are instead the sort of case of the week version right. of the of the XCOM crew and you're kind of a misfit bunch of goofballs. But I think the the thing that uh you know Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. gets at eventually is that, yo, the more militarized version of this, the part that wasn't led by adorable Agent Coulson and all that and like uh-huh. just trying to, you know, do our best to respond to crises as they happen. The actual organization was shot through with with, uh, you know, to authoritarians and fascists. Right? right. And the Marvel movies kind of like after they deal with that in one movie for like a minute, they're like, <laughs> eh, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s good again. Yeah. And. This kind of exists uh, apart from that. This this exists more in that vibe of it's a little scrappier. It's a little more complicated. It's a little <laughs> bit less um, capital H heroic. Right. Um, also, you know, I just want to, again, reiterate that when when you fire the Lancer pistol in a, sing- in a straight line blast, the shot ignores line of sight and is unaffected by cover bonuses. Three turn, three turn cooldown. Look at this shot. I just dropped in the, in the chat. Of oh yeah. Just, oh, that's oh, the stuff yeah. right there. <laughs> Obliterating a purifier, which is like a flamethrower unit, a mech, and then two chrysalids. Let me tell you, both of those chrysalids died. The purifier was real close. And I think the mech was about halfway down from this shot. Yeah. You love it. You love to see it. Did you have to do a lot to set that up? No, no, it was so this game give you a gift this was this um this was a gift i think that this was he's he's this is a um you can see there's like a bunk bed in in that one room right there this is like a this feels like a residential building or like a a hostel or something there was like a a rows of bunk beds in this other room this kind of uh, bedroom and then an entry hall area and the two chrysalids and the mech, I think, had come in as reinforcements in the previous turn. The purifier was already there. What you can't see is that the purifier has already set fire to the entire region off screen. <laughs> uh, and I left Blue Blood in place to f- pull the trigger on this one, letting him burn a little bit to get this shot off because I, ha- I look at it. It's perfect. Um, 
yeah, it was it, good, a good one, a good one. Uh, all right, we should take a break. We should come and then come back and talk about some other stuff. Um, or we should do emails and wrap. We've been going well, two hours. We should be, wow, it, wait, has it really been two hours? Well, Fuck. not since we started, started. Yeah, but, but it'll be a two-hour podcast still. So far, yeah. Let's, you know what? True. Let's take a quick break. Hit something. We need to put a break somewhere. Can we put a, can <laughs> I, we've gone for two hours. We should just drop a break earlier. Can I just give yeah. you a break now to drop? I'll figure in? it out. Yeah, here. Um, before we wrap up, I do want to, Kato, you and I played some Valorant. Yeah. We should talk about that, was, that uh, a little that bit because we had some fun. Ex- we, what was up with those games we had? I, I think I know what happened. I think okay. I understand what happened. I think it's MMR. I think it's matchmaking, Never. rating, Mur? reset. Mur. 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 Yeah. Uh, That's from God was... of War, right? That's the character from God of War? <laughs> yeah. The, the... Wait, is he the head? I think he's the head. Mur. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> um, I think uh, I'm pretty sure the way that these sort of games have worked in the past is you have a, a personal MMR when you queue solo, but since it is team a team-based game, if you ever queue up with new people, like that group gets a new MMR. So it was just trying to figure us out in, mm. the, in those first ones. We got some very strange uh, games last night um, where it was, it seemed pretty obvious. There was a lot of people's first games mm-hmm. <laughs> where Austin had to do a lot of coaching about. Shout out to Devin, you, Devin, the dude, Devin, uh, Devin the not dude. literally Devin, the dude, Devin, the 12 year old who was the last remaining person alive on our team once yep. had the spike, which is the bomb in Counter-Strike terms, had to go plan it, but instead was just kind of doing laps. Yeah. Uh, and I'd be like, hey, like Devin. Looking for uh looking for kills, very much playing deathmatch when there's an objective. Yep. Uh um, very much had to have that. That would be my favorite game of the night. Uh we lost yeah, that game, I think seven fun. to thirteen or whatever, but we were we were 0 and five. We'd lost five straight rounds. And then finally I was like, Devin, uh go if you go over to the area that says A and hit the four key, you'll plant the spike, which is what you need to do to win. Um and he was like, <laughs> Okay. I was like, oh, you're a child. Oh, you're yeah, a little baby. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think and the then first he- one was during a death in one of the earlier rounds. He goes, dang it. And <laughs> he we're like, did oh, say dang it. Yeah. Oh, this oh, this kid doesn't know what's going on. This does kid he? doesn't know. Like, dang it. Oh, and and so it very quickly became, all right. Um, you <laughs> know, can, like, I'm going to go to A. This. Devin, you come to A with me. You you watch from here. I'm going to watch from up here. Uh, and it's like coaching this kid until he, he was all right. He got some fucking kills. Yeah, that kid. Absolutely. That kid, you know, put some lead downfield. Um, <laughs> and we ended up coming back seven to 13. We, we you know, we went from getting oh, it was going to be a complete blowout to to squeaking out a. Uh, a defeat I could be proud of, at least, <laughs> and and learning some things about communication al- along the way. I was really Absolutely. heartbroken when someone disconnected in our final match, and Devin just went, "Oh," and I went, "Oh, Devin, they're gonna do that." <laughs> Listen, the, you got to stick with the real ones. The real ones won't walk away when yeah. they're when the, the chips we'll are down. We'll see it through. Um, um, what are think- you? How are you thinking about that game right now in general? Um, I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying specifically the mini map. I feel like so much of my enjoyment has come from how much information they've put onto that thing. Uh, I almost feel like it's akin to the, the ping system in apex, how that was such a different thing for that style of game to Mm -hmm. have this information. The mini map in this game gives you the sight lines of every one of your, uh, uh, teammates. And whenever any enemy cap uh, passes into their sight line, 
um, you see like that icon pop up on the minimap. You see that enemy, and then when they leave the sightline, it leaves a little question mark of like their last known position, uh, and like only for like five seconds. But it gives so much information that um, would normally maybe be callouts that leaves kind of space for callouts to be more specific other things. Like like you can you can do a lot without having everyone on mic. Is is what I'm right. kind of getting at in in a way where another thing that the minimap has helped me realize is that is how is what the choke points are really obviously i was like oh looking at these sight lines there's no way for the opposite team to have crossed past this like line here without someone having seen them so we know i know i don't have to worry about my back right now Uh you know until someone breaks through or like shifts positions in a way where one of those sight lines uh opens up um, and all of that is just because they made this really, um, and it's not just that the icon pops up, but like the characters will say a line, they'll say like enemy spotted. So, you know, to look out, Oh, someone had us and it's automatic. You don't have to ping or anything at all. This is all just happening for everyone, which is, is really great. Um, and, uh, kind of realizing how much the game is about sight lines, um, really made me look at abilities differently where sometimes you think of um certain abilities and you're trying to figure out how it can help you get kills when really this game is a lot about how you can close off certain paths of of egress or uh, of, right. of of attack to the enemy squad or make them at least more fraught um there's a lot of things that just block sight and that's basically all they do it's just like you could you put a big thing of a big like dome of smoke in this specific spot but what that actually means is if somebody's going to try to pass through there as you come out of that smoke you're you don't regain sight as fast as someone who's watching the edge of the smoke so like you're going to get shot if somebody's watching right right right. it's like so once you know that it's like i'm not you cannot walk through smoke (laughs) it is a bad idea. Uh-huh. Um, so you start to see how it's you're setting up these like you're you're blocking off paths essentially, so that you know where it's about setting up it's about having the knowledge of like, okay, they're not gonna walk through that smoke. They're gonna walk their the only other path is this way. I can keep an eye, a like side eye on the smoked area, but most likely they're coming from this one way, which makes things kind of like it's it's surprising how much I used to feel like in like I when I used to play CS:GO way back when I never had enough information if my teammates weren't constantly talking. Mm-hmm. And this game, between the, the 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 way the abilities work out about being about sight, about being about kind of disrupting movement, and also disrupting like yeah where everyone is going, like. It almost feels, I like, my brain was like, it's, it feels like the, the, um, into the breach of, of, of CS, of, of Counter-Strike type shooters, where it's like, it's giving me all the information and I have to figure, I have to take that information, figure out how to take that information in and, and process it correctly to execute correct moves. But, um, it's, it's the, it's the best I've ever felt playing any one of these games. Like I've done better at this than anything else and maybe partially that is getting in 
earlier because it is in the beta and a week or two out it's gonna be bad again but i'm right now at least really really enjoying the kind of the the, the differences that the abilities bring to this sort of thing totally uh i i've been having a, t- a good time i will say that like it's one of those games that I know I have to do the homework on if I'm going to be good at it because right. so many character abilities require map knowledge at a level that is not just know the callouts, but know where to shoot your ping arrow that that scans for enemies, know where to put your smoke if you're playing as one of the characters who can drop smoke. Um, and that stuff is fun, but it's also just like, do I have the time and energy to learn two characters because this is a game where you only get to have one character of a, of a type or one given character on your team. Um, and right. so like I, last night you were every time we went, you went to go play the character <laughs> you've been playing Sage, like she got picked out from under you. And yeah. so I was like, well, I guess I'll try this motherfucker. <laughs> um, and that feeling is not just the same as, as feeling like that in something like Overwatch or Apex where you're like, well, I'm basically doing the same thing, except if I hit Q, I shoot a rocket or something. Right. Not that Overwatch is that simple. I, I That's kind of a that was kind of a quick dismissal of I know that high level Overwatch play is actually much, much, much more than that. And every Overwatch characters have different guns and stuff even. Um, right. But because death is so comes so quick and rounds are so important, the feeling of like, oh, I not only need to know how to use this special weapon, I need to know how to use it to shut down part of the map so that my my you know team can focus elsewhere or whatever. That is like a really distinct difference, and that seems to change from character to character in a real way. Because someone, something like Viper, who is a character who can launch like a a long, long, long wall that stays that she can turn on or off throughout the course of the the game, is different mm-hmm. than someone um, uh, who can like drop smoke for ten seconds or four seconds sometimes. You know, right. um, so and understanding the differences and different use cases for that takes work. It takes time um, and and energy, and it's like. What I have the time for right now is to play with my friends now and then, and so I need to find mm-hmm. the character who is best for that style of play and be honest with myself, even though those right. other characters might appeal to me. Will I actually put in the time to, to get it? And the answer is probably not. Uh, so so I'm going to keep trying some characters that, out. Yeah, I will say that the the little, like, firing range and arena thing that they yes. have is actually, like, been really, really good for, like, I... When I first got it, I just spent a bunch of time with one character to kind of figure out what's going on. And they have bots in there and they have like two scenarios, basically. Those are just like three different things. There's like a shooting range where it's just like pick whatever gun and like we're going to pop up some. Uh, it's it's very funny. What they do is they pop up uh, little bots, like robots that are like, you know, the silhouette of most of the, the, the enemies. But they only pop up for like a split second which I've realized is now just the time to kill. So it's like, if they're not dead before this amount of time is over, you're dead is what they've kind of set up there. Um, which is a fun way of doing that. And then the other two things are setting up the bomb and defending a bomb. Mm-hmm. Um, or sorry, d- defusing a bomb. Um, and the, the bots, they, they given the way that the game is about sightlines and stuff, the, the bots are actually, have been very um like if they feel accurate to kind of the the way the play happens it's really about reaction times when you're watching different sight lines rather than moving around which is where kind of uh, ai bots and first person shooters kind of uh miss the mark is like them having to strafe and stuff but yeah since this game is about posting up 
when you put that when you put the uh the the ai in that area on hard like it's all it's all, all about where they're positioned and they have they pick like different and weird spots where it's like shit i didn't check that fucking corner of course um and uh i've found it to be a really good kind of area to play around and figure out the kind of uh feeling for the game as a, as a whole um I need again like th- that's the thing is like that that thing can be as good as can be I still need to like put that time in you know what I right, mean exactly. yeah yeah I'm um, not saying yeah, which I'm is which saying, is like, which is you're it, right I'm though it's nice to have there, that stuff though. yeah so yeah, it was yeah. there from the jump it was not something that was like eh, one day we'll put this in eventually right yeah <laughs> <You know>? totally <laughs> um all right quickly I want to I want to hit hit the the question bucket get to answer something important from from last week uh, uh gaming <laughs> advice.com uh, is the email address. Uh, I don't know if you remember this last week, but someone wrote in an uh, important question about Bowser, fake Bowser. Do you remember fake Bowser? Someone, uh-huh. uh, Jeff wrote in, hey, what's up? Did anyone ever notice that, that the Bowser that shows up in this one level is you hit it's him a and a Goomba one. comes out? Well, yeah. sorry, Jeff Jeff actually responded to this. The original question came in from Brian. Brian said, did we all just forget that in Super Mario Run, when you defeat a very convincing Bowser in Castle 1-4, he turns into a Goomba before falling in the lava? Well, Jeff emailed and said, uh, it's actually a reference to something that happens to the original Super Mario Brothers. Every Bowser in levels 1 through 7 is actually an imposter, each one portrayed by a different enemy character. They what? show up when defeated with fireballs. The only real Bowser is the one in World 8. If you need further reading, MarioWiki.com slash fake underscore Bowser um, is the email <laughs> address. No, uh, that, yeah, uh-huh. Bowser's <laughs> imposter or Bowser's decoy. You never fight Bowser until the very end. The first okay. one's a little Goomba. The second one is a green Goop, Koopa Troopa. The third know, one's a Buzzy Beetle. I, you know, this is all news I mean, to he's me. He's a dragon. I thought maybe he could like get out of the lava fast enough to limp away to another castle or some shit. So I never thought about it that hard. Can we pause real quick, Kato? He's a dragon. Bowser. Not a dragon. He's a dragon with a turtle shell. What are you talking about? He's not a dragon. He's a, he breathes fire. (laughs) I don't think that's the equivalent. That doesn't mean you're a dragon, a flamethrower breathes. Sorry. He's a dragonborn. He's the largest Koopa. He's the largest Koopa. Right. Well, he happens to, to breathe fire. Happens to. He looks like a dragon without wings, but a turtle shell. Yeah, real quick that you were like, without the other thing that makes <laughs> dragons the thing. Sometimes dragons don't have wings. He's got the. He's but got they the can fly clown, most of the time. Car. He's got the. He's got the fucking dog. You cannot <laughs> send any motherfucker who has on a jetpack and flamethrower, and a flamethrower is a dragon because they can fly and shoot fire. Yeah, honestly, no, you know, no, like no. dragon unit. That's what I expect. No. He's a <laughs> flamethrower. <laughs> he's a demon. He's a turtle demon. Maybe he's like mm-hmm. a kappa. Isn't that the bit? Is that the bit? He's a kappa. Yeah, like a no. yes, like the folkloric creature, the turtle what demons. The fuck. Yes. Oh, I thought you meant like he rushed kappa. No. <laughs> <laughs> You've been throwing K's. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I, I think that he's like a Kappa. That's the joke. Koopa, Kappa. Koopa. Wow. I had never put those two together, huh? Yeah. I still think he's a dragon. 
Anyway, I got another question in here. Let's see what this one could be about. This one comes in from Henry, who says, Why is it so many people spend hundreds of dollars on gacha RPGs, but people couldn't spend $10 on Super Mario Run? When people complain about the monetization schemes in Animal Crossing Pocket Camp or Mario Kart Pocket Tour, uh, I can't help but feel like Nintendo gave you a chance to have a nice mobile uh, mobile monetization and you turned it down. Henry, when did we become the Super Mario Run podcast I don't of choice? Know. Uh, I think people don't. I don't. I mean, I played that game. I did that people bucks. complain about it? I think people just didn't like that game. No, I think people balked in so far as they didn't buy it because no one pays ten dollars for things on mobile, basically, right? Right. Like, that's that's the fundamental truth. It's, right. Like, yeah, it's just about no one wants to spend that money at all, and then the people balking at the. The people who are, who are spending lots of money on gacha games are not the ones who are mad at Nintendo monetization on no, Mario Kart these or are different Animal Crossing. In They're fact, not sitting there being like, I love this gameplay. Right. Yes. Mm. Chef they're also kiss. Not, they're not this the is ones, worthy of my money. The people who are playing gacha games and spending money on gacha games are probably also the people who are pl- spending money on Animal Crossing, new uh, whatever pocket camp. I don't think there's like a divide. I don't think that those are – you got to really identify who the people are who are taking shots at your, at your stuff. Um, maybe, maybe that's, <laughs> maybe this person knows someone who's like, I fucking love, I spent two, $300 on Grand Blue last week, but fuck Mario Kart tour. Get that shit out of here. <laughs> um, too many microtransactions. I actually don't know what the microtransaction scheme is in, in Mario Kart. I mean, tour, how many queer anime people are in Mario Kart world tour? You know what? Probably none, unfortunately. So exactly. There's your, there's there you your problem right there. There it is right there. Um, All right, this comes in from Ashley. Ashley here, I wanted to share a thought that occurred to me over the last few weeks while watching my non-gaming partner get really into Animal Crossing New Horizons. I've been on medical leave for the past 10 weeks following a voluntary surgery. In that time, I put about 250 hours into Fire Emblem Three Houses, Black Eagle Strike Force for Life, then then dove deep into Warframe on Switch. Around about that time... Uh, I started being a robot ninja, Animal Crossing came out, uh, and the lockdown started in the UK. I found myself battling for time on the Switch as my partner crafted her cute little town and made friends with a very small penguin. We've now gotten a Switch Lite so that I can continue playing Warframe while she works on her town, and something occurred to me while we were playing together. I was running around in the plains of Eidolon, uh, one of Warframe's large open-world areas, searching for enough pyrotic alloy and Cetus wisps to build a new weapon, and trying to get blueprints to drop from certain enemies in containers. Meanwhile, my partner has loaded up uh, on Nook Mile tickets to go hunting for materials to craft a bunch of furniture she got from those awful eggs in the Easter event, and it hit me. We were playing the same damn game. Not literally, of course, but I was totally stunned by how similar the two games were in that the, in that small microcosm of play. And sometimes games that you think are totally different actually share some core mechanics and techniques to engage with players. I was wondering if any of you had similar experience, experiences with two games you thought were miles apart, but turned out to be really similar. Best wishes, Ashley. Um, nothing comes to mind in that particular thing of like mm. these two things are wildly different. I think I was probably more... The thing that comes to mind here for me is like getting over myself with Minecraft and being like, oh, actually, this game fucking rules. And I thought it was not like any of the things I liked, but actually it's actually the thing that is the thing there that is the like the two things that are similar are my taste and the video game Minecraft. (laughs) Um, uh, I think that's that's probably the closest it gets. And that wasn't like, oh, this is like other stuff I like so much as or if it was, um, it's like. It's like the fact that I like to tell stories. It's like the fact that I like to think about 
you know, cool looking design. And like, uh, I thought it was way less engaging than it would be. And it, and it, it was great. So, um, I don't think anything else comes to mind with that though. Well, I, I think you, one that was the one that I just mentioned earlier about kind of finding the similarity between in, into the breach and Valorant is like sure, having sure, a lot totally. of information and, you know, um, like obviously not perfect information the way into the breaches, but like in a similar way. Totally, totally. There, God, this is killing me because there was something the other day that struck me about this where someone was comparing two things, and I was like, these two <laughs> things are not the same at all. Actually, they're co- they're completely different. Um, uh, and I can't remember it, and it's gonna it's gonna ruin my brain. Unfortunately, I mostly wanted to read that because it was a cute story, and uh, yeah. I hope that that's going well. I finished my really nice house in Animal Crossing. I may have mentioned oh, it the other day, but it's a whole thing. I I have like how your, a higher turnips. They're whatever. They're, we're not talking about turnips Damn. right now. We're talking about my Damn. cute house. Okay. Uh, oh, my God. No, actually, here's the thing that happened to me on my turnips. So I'll get to my cute uh-huh. house. Um, I, so I finished my house, and that is what made me this week be like, I'm only going to get a single stack of turnips. Mm-hmm. Um, my house is One great. Break. You should come over and see my house. I have an entire carnival barker, like, haunted mansion thing where I, like, walk you Sounds through. great. Um <laughs> It's 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 a it's a city. I built a city in my house. I like the city street <laughs> is my when you come into my house. Okay, so before you come in my house, <clears throat> we'll get to the turnips. This is this is this is more yeah. important. Yeah. When you come to my house in Animal Crossing, we gather outside as a group. You and anyone else who's coming with with you, um, and and I say. Uh, first of all, I start to try to do this spiel and then someone gets disconnected or someone else decides to come in and I have to restart the spiel multiple times. I say, thank you all for coming. Before we enter the house, I need to first confirm that you are familiar with the admittedly disagreeable process of traveling to other places and times. Additionally, I need your absolute assurance that you will not even attempt to bring anything back with you. The process of leaving the house can be precarious to those who will attempt to exit carrying any piece or part of what lays inside. It is unclear exactly to where the door behind me might lead. There is much speculation, however. Follow me, and a reminder, stay close and move in the order that I do, as we must adhere to the times of the places that we move through. And so you come in, and it is a city street, and I have, like, the, like, graffiti walls up and like mm. uh you know phone booth and vending machines and like uh, <laughs> uh a um like a, a lighting like a city light and a electrical pole and some like <clears throat> like a, a dead end sign and a bike in the street <laughs> and a and a, a scooter with lights on it looks really nice at, at like with the i'm saying at night but with the lights turned off because there's all this ambient lighting um and then we go we kind of go clockwise starting at nine o'clock um, uh, which is like a little cafe I built basically. And it's like, you go in the door and you're, Oh, I'm in a little cafe for breakfast. Um, nice. and there's like, you know, it's kind of like, uh, I have a cafe wallpaper that is, it has like parallax scrolling so that when you move the camera, what? it's as if it's as if there's multiple layers, it's as if there's, there's new windows looking out into like a parking lot. Basically. It's very cool. Wow. Um, then, then I, then we go to the North side where it is like a basketball court and it has the, the chain link <laughs> fence, things you're like at like the cage you're like playing street ball um and there's like a workout there's like a a, a bench press uh thing set up and there's like a locker and there's a basketball and it's playing like one of what is the track i think it's 
God, I forget the name. Oh, it's Cruisin. It's KK Cruisin. KK Cruisin. Which fucking slap. People just go listen to KK Cruisin. <laughs> Please, someone. I need a KK Cruisin type beat. Um, then we go over 9 p.m. to the, to the east, and that is uh, a diner that I've built. There's a bunch of diner stuff. There's a lot of great diner stuff there. Uh, and that's playing like some rockabilly. There's a big jukebox. Take a lot of good pictures there with my friends. And then Amazing. we go up top. We go, well, you can make a choice. You can either go down or up. Uh, uh, down is the is the lower depths from Kentucky Route Zero. I just made, I just remade the bar <laughs> from Kentucky Route Zero. I'm very happy with it. Uh, nice. And then up is like a studio apartment. And I got this idea from my friend AJ. Shout out to AJ who did something very similar with the basic setup there. It's like he basically set up the outside and then an inside whole section. And I was like, oh, mm. that's ju- I just want one room to be the apartment. So I made it the attic and I turned that into, I have like the city night life thing or city night wallpaper, which is like looking down on a city from like a penthouse basically. And so it's like a <laughs> studio, a long like studio apartment. Um, and it's, I love it. I, it's, I'm like so happy that I've, I've done that. So coming into this week, I was like, eh, I'll just buy one brick of turnips. I'm not going to buy two bricks. I, we talked about this last on Monday and the predictor said I had a big spike coming on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. I had like a potential 600 point spike. No, because my, my nook's cranny or whatever was being remodeled. No, it what? was shut down. I couldn't sell my turnips on Tuesday, so I still have them. <laughs> it's fine. I'll flip them today or tomorrow. I'm not in any rush. I was like, listen, I built my my dream house. If I lose, if I never play with anything, you're not afraid to, or you're you're too afraid to lose. You know. Uh, so yeah. Uh, so that's literally just, the same the same thing happened to me. My it? spike was predicted oh. to be uh, uh, Wednesday. And yesterday, the whole day, Nook's cranny was shut down. Um, I'm sorry. So, well, I'm so sad. There's our Animal Crossing update. That update <laughs> just hit. We'll probably check in on that on on Monday once we all have time to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check out the new shit. Um, so we'll see. Leaf is here. Uh, if you have questions about Animal Crossing, New Horizons, new shit, or about Super Mario Run, you know you can send them <laughs> to gamingadvice.com. Your number one. Mario Run podcast. It doesn't rhyme. Uh, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Austin underscore Walker. Where can people find you, Kato? At A underscore Kato underscore appears. How about you, Rob? At Rob Zachney. As always, you can follow everything we do. Twitter.com slash waypoint, waypoint.vice.com. Rob, is there anything on the site right now that people should go check out? Uh, yeah, I mean, I let's see. I have revisited controls, you all know, but I finally sort of put my thoughts together on... Uh, what I make of the DLC. Ooh, and I, I wrote a, <laughs> an interview with uh, Tyler Bielman, the director, the designer on uh, Gears Tactics. Awesome. Uh, so both those things are on the site. You should check them out. Go check those out. Awesome. Um, all right. I hope everyone has a good weekend. Shout out to Bowen for letting us use the track Miss You off the EP panel machine. Find out more about that. Waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. We'll be back on Monday with... Uh, some more. I, we're not sitting on any other embargoes that are going to end on Monday, so you probably won't get a two-hour deep dive episode like this one. No. Well, I did not expect that we would go as long as we did on XCOM, no, but here we was... are. <laughs> we, I mean, are we still are we floating the idea of spoiler cast still? Or oh yeah, we should talk. We should think about that. I, we have to see what patch where Patrick's at on that. Right. Because uh, Patrick should eventually be on that. we will be doing a Final Fantasy VII remake spoiler. Cast. Absolutely. So if yeah, you're yeah, playing. Yeah. Get that ready. Might come Monday and that might come Friday. Uh, we'll and if, since that's coming, maybe start sending your Final Fantasy VII spoiler questions to gamingadvice.com. 
uh, let us know what what you what you think and what you which questions you still have. There are probably a lot uh, out there, understandably. <laughs> so <laughs> send those in. Uh, all right. Until next week, as always, fuck capitalism. Go home. Peace. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hit something. We need to put a break somewhere. Can we put a, can <laughs> I, we've gone for two hours. We should just drop a break earlier. Can I just give yeah. you a break now to drop? I'll figure in? it out. Yeah, here. Um. All right, let's, before we lose two straight hours to XCOM talk, <laughs> let's take a quick break and then probably come back with some more XCOM talk. So another thing about XCOM Chimera uh, is <laughs> something. I'll figure that out. Yeah. Uh, mm, so I'll give you some of those. Um, <laughs> uh, hello. Sorry. You have to install a sound blaster? I really do, because clearly the real tech stuff keeps getting confused. Okay. It keeps being like is like this it never the same brand as the fucking uh what's it called the boom boxes boom boxes no those no, are things right I don't uh, think so. sound blasters are sound cards no you're thinking of um it's early but um oh I don't think they make I don't think that they do. Kind no, of, no, your brain no. groped for like ghetto blaster. I maybe, think so. I maybe think that his brain was gotcha. <laughs> that, a maybe sound blaster. <laughs> I could have sworn it's like the nineties. You know, uh, you got to get that. You got to get that real panning audio, like a thug. <laughs> oh, God. Street. Um, there's a this one called Street Blaster. Yeah, <laughs> that's not that's your homie. You that's never heard that. the iMuse sound check like this before. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Dog, um. it was like a Tie Fighter flew through here. <laughs> God. Uh. No, so um, I have a sound blaster, like the one that has the um XLR cable jack. Like built in. Oh shit! Um, Direct and acid, so, but... yeah. So I'm just thinking about putting That's that in phrase. because. Mm. God damn it! <laughs> well, fuck! Come on. Well, a bad phrase. It's no, just... but still. Uh, but but yeah, because like, <laughs> I think the thing that is like the thing that causes me better language. Than... <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, honestly. sorry. I'm sorry uh, <laughs> to step all over this real conversation we're having. No, but. The, the thing that causes me the most havoc is that um, 
like right now there's like eight different sound audio devices that my computer is just like randomly shuffling every time something changes. <sighs> and mm. if I do it, do it through the sound blaster that has a control deck that sits on your like desk mm. and that's your controller. Mm. So it will always be outputting through the sound blaster. And then via that deck, I'm basically just saying, okay, output to the optical, which is going into the receiver or output uh-huh. to these headphones. Right. That sounds like a good. That sounds like a great thing. Do it, you ha- I, I'm hoping. Did you did you buy it already, or is this? Yeah, I just I haven't put it in because if, like it's just a pain in the ass unmounting my uh, computer from the standing desk. Um, mm. So it's uh. like what like what I've been putting off is if I crack this thing open, am I also just gonna put in another SSD while right. I'm doing that? Might as well. And the answer is yes, probably. And why not? <laughs> yeah, I've gotten real tired of playing uh, like three card Monty with like game installations. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. it's. I need. <laughs> I need another like half terabyte at least. <laughs> um, getting extra SSD stuff in this machine was a pain in the ass when I got it, and I'm so happy I did it because I haven't had to think about it since. Nice. I have, like, dedicated recording SSD separate from, yeah. like, my long-term archival HD. Like, it's it's been good. That's good. I'm starting um, to get there with my SSD, but I've just been deleting shit. Go through yeah, shit I just can't handle that anymore. Yeah, yeah fair. fair. Especially because <laughs> sometimes, like, you're never sure now. Like, was this one of the games that just, like, keeps all the saves in the cloud, or did I just wipe out, like, an RPG? <laughs> God. Um, okay. Are y'all uh, ready to do a podcast? Pod. I am. Pod. Ready to pod. Fascinating. World Book Day. Huh. Also known as World Book and Copyright Day. Mm, there you go. Oh, I feel like you've changed. I feel like you've changed <laughs> what I wanted here. Oh, uh, it's the it's the death of Cervantes, Shakespeare, and De La Vega, which is wild. What? Uh like coincidentally. Damn, what's up with April twenty third? Three lovers of copyright. I thought you were just three lovers. Period. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God. Uh-huh. In this essay, I will. <laughs> what is? You know what? Listen, man. Huh. They were all alive at the same time. I was trying. I was looking for the same thing. Listen, man. <laughs> they all died on the same day. Oh my God! So romantic. On the same. Day, not the same day of the year, the same day that it was. That, yeah, you can't pull me away from this now. This is now what I believe. Were they ever in the same country? Yes, while they were lovers, kind of. (laughs) (laughs) True, true. The thruple to rule them all. All right, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop going down this this truly nonsensical <laughs> conspiracy theory. Actually, I'm going to just type it into Google so somebody did it once. Or De La Vega, Shakespeare, and Cervantes lovers? <laughs> Question mark. There. Okay, I've written it. Now the world knows. Now the world knows. <laughs> 
That's how it works. Here's how right? World Book Day is connected to the deaths of. Hmm. 1616. Wait. April 23rd. Uh huh. 4 minus 23 is 19. Turn that oh, 9 upside down. Now we're really good. This is how you know it's real. 1616. Three 16s. Ah, damn it. England did not accept the Gregorian calendar for 170 years out, so it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I don't know what you were trying to do, but all right. It was sixteen sixteen um, by our numbers, but it was not sixteen sixteen then. What? What? What's sixteen sixteen? The 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 year that they died. You're saying was it? You're saying you were trying to figure out was it actually sixteen <laughs> sixteen at the time of their death by the calendar calendar they used? I'm trying to understand what you were trying to just figure out. Yeah, no, I mean, I was just throwing bullshit numbers out, but then further down, uh, it says that it wasn't the year 1616 in this, in this Where? article. Oh, I see. No, this says, this article says they died on the same date, but not at the same. Oh, I see. I see. I see. I see. I see. That's <laughs> weird. Okay. So they're off by 10 days. Even though the date was the same. So literally the thing that I had said was the opposite. When I was like, not just the same day, not just the same day of the year. Yeah. The same day. No, right. opposite. No. Flip that. The same day of the year, See, different years, days. different days. But I think this probably actually strengthens the theory. Yes. Because it is very unlikely they both died of natural causes on, on the same, di- same day. But they had one farewell, a romantic right. like mm-hmm. adieu. Right. We and all know. then this is the day. It's like, like wait, who's yeah, then, then pneumonia claimed up. one of them ten days later. <laughs> and that right, exactly, oh, right, exactly. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, that's very funny. Uh, I knew I should not have kissed him, but his lips were so red, like wine. <laughs> Did you know that there was a sequel to Phantom of the Opera? What? I didn't, but Troy, I saw Troy tweeting about this, and he was like, oh, this, this whole thing is a conspiracy by it's, Andrew Lloyd Webber to make people watch this shit. It's out of, it's unbelievable. What is it, Love Do Never Dies? We all do it last night. Uh, yeah, it, it's called, um, it's called Love Never... Yeah, Love Never Dies. Never not, yeah, Never Dies. Yeah, sorry, I didn't hear you because I was so. losing my mind in my mind. Um... It is. Da, uh, da, da, I was gonna say <laughs> that's the worst Roger Moore James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly. First of all, that is exactly what it sounds like. Second of all, the premise is that. All right, do y'all know the? Do y'all know the original musical? Of course. Okay. What's I've got the end of that? In a heart, don't I? What's the end of that? We're gonna spoil Phantom of the Opera real quick. <laughs> what's the end of that musical? What's the arc of that musical? Yeah, guy becomes dangerously obsessed with a talented girl from basically the chorus line, right? Uh, who's a better singer than the opera's prima donna to make room for her. He kills the prima donna, right, and advances her career. But that brings her to the attention of is it actually is it literally a fucking cop? Like, is, uh, it, is I, it, I don't like remember. literally a gaslight situation where like a detective? Uh, it might be. It might be. But either way, she's like, "Yo, you're killing people." And he's like, yes, for you. And she's like, hmm. Yeah. And then he, he dies at the end. 
And then he dies at the end. Like, uh, he has to be put down, like, well, he has to be put okay, down like a rabbit okay. dog, right? So, I remember him dying, but, but so the thing that actually happens at the end of Phantom of the Opera is she, the whole thing is, he is disfigured, he's been disfigured from birth, he lives under the opera house uh, uh, in the catacombs or up in the rafters, I don't fucking know, tell me how you adapt it, I don't care. Um, and it's gotta uh, be it's probably both. under, it's right? Both. It's probably under because he's playing under, he's, and the sound is coming up right, through the, the opera right? house. Unless they anyway, got a fucking. But there's the big chandelier, which is a, a yeah. big moment in the actual show. If you go to see it, anyway, um, the whole thing is he's been disfigured. He's never he's never been socialized uh, in, in the sense that like he's never had uh, the, the sort of interaction <coughs> to where he feels like he knows what it means to be validated as a human being, and so he thinks of people almost the way that they think of him, or that he imagines they think of him, and he thinks of people the way you 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 might think of toy soldiers because that's the distance at which he sees them, and then through his obsession question mark question mark question mark he comes to understand uh, Christine the 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 uh, the singer uh, as a human unto her own right whose whose path diverges from his. And decides to let her and her uh, fiance Raul, the the Viscount, go. Uh, and and uh, as the mob is coming for him, he tries to disappear. And then we kind of it ends with Christine finding his mask uh, alone, and they couldn't find. Or maybe it's another character finds his mask, and it's like, oh, he's gone now. Who could say what happened? The premise of so the whole thing there is. <clears throat> He decides he learns how to get over his obsession because here is another human being who is not who does not want that from him and whose life will be ruined if he pushes her down this road. <laughs> the premise of love never dies hmm. is that one, they were in love. <laughs> now, <laughs> this is already a, a popular like f- fan reading of the original. There is a fan reading of the original that is about like sexual repression and the phantom being, uh, you know, an angle through which Christine can leave polite society and understand, uh, you know, her own, her own desire in, in relation to her body with someone else who has been uh, shunned because of his body. Like there's, there's a reading there, Mm -hmm. but, but what they certainly never did was fuck (laughs) (laughs) because the premise of love never died. Okay. Because the moment in the original play in which there is a musical in which the phantom realizes that he should let Christine go is when she kisses him, she kisses him and he goes, Oh, people, damn, you got, you got to live a life separate from me. I don't get to, you showed me a little bit of affection for the first time. And magically it's clicked in my head that you are yourself, uh, an individual who has her own desires. And for me to impose myself would, would be maniacal at best. Um, and, uh, in the sequel, they were secret lovers. She, went to him on the night before her wedding day to fuck him, which I don't know how she knew where he was. I mean, he was already a dress on the mask. (laughs) We didn't see that part. We didn't see that part. He was just like, okay, uh, 52 (laughs) Rue, Phantom. Uh, Well, it's funny that you you make the joke that he would name the place he lives or he would live in a place called Phantom because the the overarching premise of the show is Christine and Raul have... Lost money. They are not as they are not as wealthy as they once were, and so unfortunately Rolling they have fucking to fucking deadbeat. That he's like the story of this is that he becomes a drunken, like abusive deadbeat. That is the story of this of this. Wow. Cool. Uh, and so and so she has to take a job across the sea, where in Coney, beautiful Coney Island, New York. Fuck off at 
a what new piece of robot shit is this? <laughs> at a new, uh, unbelievable uh, 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 venue, an amusement park, just like Coney Island, to have one called Phantasma. Wow. That is secretly run by the Phantom, who's moved to Coney Island to create a circus and amusement park, and yes, a freak show. The if you look at footage from this thing, it is like ripped from Tim Burton. It is like 100% 90s Tim Burton ass aesthetics. And of course, the story of Love Never Dies is that the Phantom comes to understand that her son is actually is that or that that her son with Raul is actually her son with him. Um, the two of them put together that that they're both at this place. Uh, obviously, he sent a he sent a. He's the one who brought her here. This was like an active, again, boundary stepping situation where he he like recognized that she was in peril and, and like financial perils. Like, ah, how could I use that to my advantage? Uh, invited her to come perform here. And over the course of the show, re-seduces her. The two of them realize that they're still in love. As you would. As you would. Um, uh, Raul is outed to be a kind of deadbeat drunk. Um, and... The Phantom realizes halfway through the show that the thing he needs to live for is his son. And that from this is it. This is my future now is this child whose face is like a normal human face, not like my face, which is also a normal human face, if not for absurd beauty stand. No, they don't include that part. They, he just says, that's my son. He's beautiful. Not like me. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. And uh, don't worry. It all gets it all gets it all works out in the end, because in the end. Uh, I'm skipping over a bunch of stuff here. Christine dies, and the Phantom gets to gets to raise the son. Happy ending. Like literally, never dies. Literally, though. love never dies. But, but now the love but is Christine. Of, not so much. Christine, you gotta go, honey. Love, like it, it literally, the the refrain goes from love never dies being about the Phantom and Christine to being about the Phantom and his son is a paternal love instead of a romantic love. Uh, and he's basically like, that's it. Bye. She dies in his arms. And, of and what? I can't believe. Andrew I don't Lloyd remember. Weber oh, I guess wrote. she gets shot. She gets shot. Meg shoots her. Meg is one of the <laughs> characters in the original. Um, uh, I think. Can't believe that Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote Phantom of the Opera fan fiction. That is exactly what it is. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so um, I will oh, say, though, it's I can jealousy. T- it's jealousy. <laughs> it's je- oh, this is bad. I'm just going to read from the Wikipedia. <laughs> I'm just going to read from the Wikipedia. Meg Geary, Christine Day's friend. I'm going to butcher these names from the opera, uh, who is somewhat more intrigued than afraid of the Phantom in their youth, is now a headlining burlesque performance. A headlining burlesque performer at Phantasma. Madame Geary, her mother, and the opera's former ballet mistress is now a business manager and choreographer for the show. I don't, fa- the Phantom was just like bringing everybody He's over. Really? I wow. got jobs for all y'all. This is like when someone like quits a uh, publication and is just like, I'm going to hire all my friends. I'm going to get a new <laughs> job of hiring every one of you motherfuckers. Both <laughs> Meg and her mother are easy to get ready for this to take, take exactly the sort of uh, uh, anti-sex turn you might be expecting. Uh, an anti-sex worker uh, turn that you might be expecting. Both Meg, or if you weren't expecting it, get ready for that. Both Meg and her mother are eager to curry favor with their employer to secure their future. As Meg prepares for the performance as the, quote, ooh-la-la girl, she wonders whether it will please him, only for him, slash only for you. That's the name of the song. Uh, after the show, Madame Geary informs Meg that she has been, that she has 
arranged for her to meet an important client, suggesting that Meg has been covertly performing sexual favors for key individuals in the interest of political and financial expediency for Phantasma. That's why the show is, that's why the amusement park has grown so rapidly, because Meg keeps banging rich people. That's not real success, (laughs) America. So wait, it's not because the Phantoms are good at running a carnival? Or that Miss Madame Geary, who is also now the business manager for it. Can you imagine? Again, Meg was, if I'm remembering right, Meg was part of the mob sent to kill the Phantom originally. And now she and her family are like doing the numbers. (laughs) Um, Anyway, the thing that ends up happening is Meg gets jealous. Uh... Meg, on a desolate pier, the Phantom, Christine, and Madame Geary find the distraught Meg seemingly about to drown Gustav, who is the sun in the ocean. I'm gonna, I don't know how that happened. I don't know why that leap happened. Anyway, Meg brandishes a gun to make the Phantom finally pay attention to her as she describes the lengths the Geary's have gone through over the years to ensure the success of the Phantasma, including Meg's offering herself to men in high places to, quote, grease the wheels of, of the Phantom's high-flying deals. <laughs> I've greased the wheels of your deals. <laughs> I'm holding a gun at you. Uh, I'm Jerry Seinfeld now. <laughs> um, the Phantom apologizes for his failure to truly see Meg and her con- and her contributions. But when he unthinkingly mentions Christine, Meg becomes enraged and accidentally fires the gun, shooting Christine. The Phantom <laughs> runs to Christine. Accidentally. And yeah. Uh-huh. See, this is why you can't yada yada sex work when you're balancing <laughs> the company's books. <laughs> filing reports. Oh my god. Anyway, it sounds like trash. I listened this to like has two to of the be songs. An They're original, terrible. Right? They're terrible. It has to be what? This has to be completely Andrew Lloyd Webber's thing, right? Oh, a hundred percent. This is not. Yes. There was no actual. <laughs> uh, wait. It was loosely adopted from Forsyth's novel, The Phantom of Manhattan. What? Uh, which was written <laughs> by a different person. Uh, so there was not fully Android Lloyd Webber's fabrication. Right. It was somebody else's like, hey, what if there was a sequel? Yeah. And he he semi-adopted that. I mean, so two things. One, I can absolutely believe that Christine got pregnant from the music of the night. Like, that <laughs> I find. Like, we may not have seen, like, the fucking, but... From the standpoint of like, what does what is that song? Mm. Yeah, well, the thing, but again, the thing that's tough about that is because I went down this rabbit hole last night is that the entire the the symbolic gesture at the end of Fan of the Opera is the kiss, and that's supposed to be the first moment of physical intimacy that he's had in his life because that's the show that Andrew Lloyd Webber is making. You could, if you want to sneak in, that there was like like an indifferent handy in there somewhere, I'd believe you. <laughs> but there couldn't have been a night of of true, real, deep, intimate lovemaking between these characters. Uh, your version of the show didn't include that, that scene, didn't include Christine just kind of looking off in the distance. Yeah, okay. All right, buddy. <laughs> Hope you listen. I'm not complaining. I just finish quick. Um... Uh. Anyway, that's the world of musical theater brought to you by Waypoint. <laughs> is this thing running uh-huh. right now? The show, nothing is running, running right now, Kano. <laughs> yeah, I meant I guess before things. Was this a how re, when was when was this? Is was 
Uh, there was a 2020 UK tour. Uh, Android Lord tours. Whoever's Love Never Dies to stream on YouTube one day ago. So this is, yes, this is why it came across. <laughs> Janine linked it to me or told me about it because it was the, the Weber thing showing this week or whatever. Wow. Wait, 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 wait. Huh. The book, The Phantom of Manhattan, uh-huh. is by Frederick Forsyth. Yes. The espionage novelist. What? Oh, is that who that is? Yeah, That's Frederick Forsyth, Day of the Jackal, Frederick Forsyth. Holy shit. What the shit? He's decided, listen, what if I just, okay, you know what that is? I bet that is, look at when he wrote it, in the, mid, in the late 90s. I bet that is, in the 90s, he falls in love with Phantom of the Opera. Though I guess Phantom of the Opera is an 80s thing, isn't it? Uh, it was Is like it a nineties thing. Uh, I saw it in the nineties. Super big in the nineties. Yeah, okay, like, that's what I saw. Like, Andrew Lloyd Webber isn't like, it still the longest running Broadway show right now? I think so. That sounds right. right? It, like, I think it's so been like, running since every decade is the decade or eighty eight rather. <laughs> yeah, true, true. <laughs> but I'm I can imagine it being a situation where he's like he fell in love with it, and then he's like, well, what if what would happen next? Coney <laughs> Island. If? You gotta write what you know, so. Wait, no, he's English. Never mind. <laughs> right, right. I thought, I don't know why I assumed he was American. God. <laughs> anyway, all right. Are we ready to do a podcast about other things? Yeah. We only want to do a podcast about musicals now. <laughs> but like real garbage tear musicals. Just try. Yeah. I really want to see. The um the thing that Andrew Lloyd Webber made after Cats, because uh, Cats was this is the thing that I, I someone recently told me, me about Starlight Express. Yeah, you know about yeah, Starlight the fucking Express? trains one. The trains one, except you know how they they show trains. Hmm. Everyone's skates. on every yes skates. Everyone's on roller skates. Great, and so everyone is skating around. Excellent. I've heard it's a disaster. I really badly want to see it because uh, I I love disasters. What's I hope they make. The, I hope the cat, the team behind Cats, makes this next. Wow, there's not a single <laughs> song in Starlight Express that, that I know. You, yeah, that you've ever heard of. Yeah, no singles. Wow, that's rough. I mean, there probably are singles, but no, no crossover singles. No, and no singles for even for someone like Rob, who would have heard it if Uncoupled would have become a big, <laughs> a big thing. Okay, we must know the Starlight Express like m- core melody, though, right? No. I mean, must we? No. No, but like that happens. You know what I mean? Right. This looks like a steam-powered giraffe show. (laughs) You don't, we don't need to, we don't need to go down that road. Okay. They're a steampunk thing, band. (laughs) Thing. This is not a good song. Act? Act. Feels more honest. (laughs) This is hell. Oh, this wait, wait, skip that one. Oh my god, Excuse skip that me? one. Everyone uh, should just go watch Starlight Express ACDC. This is not an ACDC song, but it just everyone <laughs> is roller skating around in wacky costumes. Um, wow, I, what do you how do you even describe these costumes? This uh, is they're like what. Uh, elementary schooler thinks robots look like sometimes. That one has the hammer and sickle on his chest. What? That one is what? a rapper. That one is a yeah. There. That one has the Japan, the imperial Japanese flag on it. Uh. Yeah, it's like 
weird... No, sorry, that is just the regular flag of Japan. My bad. Uh, so only one song from this was featured on Michael Crawford Crawford's uh, performs Andrew Lloyd Webber album, uh, uh, and it's the song I skipped, of course. <laughs> Let me this tell you, though, is... my, Michael Crawford performing Tell Me on a Sunday, oh my god, brings the house down. Tears, <laughs> tears to the eyes. I like I like that Android Lloyd Webber has been so successful and also had a, a good share of just disasters because yeah. it's Shooters. Shoot. Shooter, shoot. Like, the guy, exactly the guy understands, it. like, you make high-concept musicals, sometimes it'll be dog shit, but sometimes people are like, my god, you gotta see this. They hung a fucking chandelier over the audience and then dropped it on a woman. And everyone's <laughs> like, my god, they dropped a chandelier on a woman? I must see this. And they're like, you swear, a person died. <laughs> god. Fuck. That was the original version of that Colin Trevorrow woman gets eaten in Jurassic World seven times clip. That's it's also the around. origins of Julie Taymor's career. <laughs> Is that true? Is that really where <laughs> people were like, wow, she died so good. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, and that's how we celebrate World Book Day, everybody. <laughs> uh, let's do a clap at 20. I actually just uh, wait. Cl- where's time that is? Hold tabs. on. I started closing oh, tabs. It's fine. Because like it's a million tabs opened up during this. Right. Of course. This is what happened. And I was like, did Shakespeare fuck the Phantom? <laughs> he could have. Okay. Wait. Okay. Wait hold a second. On. I think he was bad at it. Was Shakespeare the Phantom? Who could say? God. Um. All right. I'm there again. I'm not. <laughs> I need to type in Phantom of the Globe Theater and see what comes up. Shakespeare in Love, of course. Right, of course, of course. All right. Uh 57. I'll right. be surprised if there hasn't been a remake of Phantom in Iambic Pentameter. Oh, there almost certainly has been. That's someone's project <laughs> right, for exactly. sure. Exactly. <laughs> Um, all right. What's up? You sitting on the Oh, phone? just thinking about the ending of uh, Shakespeare in Love when she goes to the New World and founds the Royal East oh Indian Goop, Goop I... Company. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, uh, that's... <laughs> I mean, you know... And that's we we wouldn't have have had goop if not for <laughs> the colonists, you know. Uh, all right. 